Joining me is Arthur Geese. Fuck you, say it. It is Rebel FM episode 348. <laughs> we, we checked beforehand. I told him beforehand. But I also guessed right beforehand. You did. He did. I After never guessed you the had episode no idea right. and then making a poop face. But it wasn't recorded, so it didn't happen. No. 348. It's, it, uh, the week, you know, doesn't matter. Like, some people put a date on it. That doesn't matter. The games we talk about will put a date on it, probably. <laughs> so uh, I'm joined by Arthur Geese, who spoke and gave me shit. Mash Andrenay. This is me. Uh, James Faulkner. We're sharing a mic this week. We are. Me and James are uh, cuddle boys. Why are you cuddling? We're cuddling because we had to give the fourth mic to our guest, Walt D. Williams. That's me. I'm over here very comfy with my mic. (laughs) Who you might have heard if you listened to the podcast Checkpoints. He was on that recently. Uh, Who also wrote, but right now, obviously the reason he's going around is because he's just, uh, his book is out or is it about it's literally about to come out uh it comes out september 19th september 19th i I was wondering because i have an advanced copy of it so that's why i was like is it out i was forgetting but it's called (laughs) significant zero significant significant zero heroes villains and the fight for art and soul in video games nice um, I'm very much looking forward to reading this book. I, uh, well, I, good because I brought you a copy. What? Oh. Yay! Oh my god! I, I will say I, I've read <laughs> I've read uh, three chapters into it. Yeah, and, and I actually. Uh, I mean, not to believe it's totally both smoking, but I actually have really, really enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much. So I've never read, I've never read any your writing. I've played through Spec Ops. Well, it's okay because I've never written a book before either, so, so there's nothing for you to read. But there is like a, a, a canter to it and stuff that I'm like, oh, it's it's just like super, like like it just rolls. You know what I mean? In the sense that like I'm obviously I have to sit there and write and think about my words hard when I actually want to criticize something because I'm not always good with it. But like, <laughs> I just find it very enjoyable and easy to read. Like, and a lot of it resonates with me since I've moved into development too. So, uh, well, I wrote it with a simple rule, which as I was writing it, if I wanted to bash my head in with a hammer, I would go back and rewrite that section. <laughs> <laughs> You're not someone who works on deadline a lot, are you? I work almost exclusively on deadline. It is it's like yeah. half of what I wrote. It was just like, oh, uh, whatever, publish. publish. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, here's what I do, and partly this is uh, a little crunchy, kind of in yeah, some ways. I was going to ask, like, so, so please talk, be let's crunchy. Talk about <laughs> let's talk about crunch. <laughs> I I try to write first really quickly, really fast, because I want to be able to get as many iterations in as possible. So That's a good that's a yeah. good thing that a lot of people don't do. That's very right. smart. Yeah. But that means I'm crunching on the writing side almost the entire time that I'm working because yeah. right. in until I will do it until the drop dead date is done. I won't reach a point where like, oh I'm happy with this and then stop and like, great, I've got two more weeks to just relax. It's like no, it's like fuck two more weeks, that's two more weeks I, of iteration. I'm more like I've got two weeks, so I need to start this. <laughs> well, that's actually, I was going to say, that's actually a really healthy thing if you were if, in game development, because then that means at least you got something, somebody they can work with early on. Yeah. Yep. Like, a lot of game development, a lot of it's so, as I'm sure you've seen, like, other people's stuff comes in, like, super hot, last minute, first iteration. Oh, like, absolutely. Which so. is why uh, I've also found that even if I get it to them early... Uh, no one knows it's there and they don't read it because they're not expecting it to come in to the last minute. Yeah. And so I go and I will play what they've built, the uh, level. I'm like, hey, uh, where, where's uh, the script? 
What are you talking about, man? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, I guess we'll write a new one to match the new level that you built without reading the script. So we're back where we all started with me turning in a script at the last minute. Um, not that you're better. So, so like for I'm actually not. I enjoy. I appreciate it. It's part of the job. We're the easiest thing to throw out and remake. That's the thing. We're words up How to does a certain that feel? point. <laughs> you you it, like hypothermia where you kindly <laughs> eventually just get numb and warm and die. I was going to say right. cuz I, I imagine that had to have been hard cuz you kind of opened the book with a story about being on like the last recording of the last day of the last session like with uh the actors for Spec Ops and being like getting a text message that's like hey guess what we're fucking flipping the script on you. Good luck, you know, and it's just like yeah, like being like at like that disposable yeah. and like that interchangeable because of the whim of somebody, you know. Which that's- is interesting because writing was one of like the one things about that game that was sort of universally complimented. Yeah. Yeah. Um are you at a point where you can talk about Spec Ops Absolutely. freely? Yeah, okay. I can talk I mean, about it. Uh, doesn't really exist yeah. so much yeah. anymore. Because right. uh, yeah, we we all played that and were very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that that by was a the game, whole experience. That was a game that came around uh, the press tour when I was still at GameSpy in two thousand nine. Yeah, and I remember I doing the demo for it with Greg Kasavin actually. Yes, and, oh, uh, Greg, and 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 like the whole thing they were showing at the time had nothing to do with like there was no like pitch where like the core of the game is this brutal storyline where you're gonna be like oh man this is fucked up. They're like nah. It's set in Kuwait, and look at this fuck. You can shoot this window, and sand will come in and fucking dynamically flood the environment. Isn't that fucking cool? Like it was very much at that time. I was like, oh, so it's a stop and pop shooter yep. set in a military. Like, so you and guys when, made like a third person Call of Duty. Is kind of how it felt, but I with cool exactly. sand physics. And when the game starts, it's it's all like super uh, super militaristic, bro, haha. Let's go and like let's go kill everything in front of us. You know, fuck the enemy. Let's fuck it up. We're Americans, yeah. And I was like, oh, this feels like any other shooter and that is not how that game turns out at all see i thought that was a really clever way to write a military shooter (laughs) and didn't realize at the time that it's a really stupid way to write a game you want to (laughs) sell because you cannot market a game that's like no no it's really it's super generic yeah wink wink right (laughs) it's hard to put hey it goes eternal darkness is your ass in the last 25 minutes right. on the box. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I actually played your game when no one was supposed to play your game. Really? Yeah. At uh, Judges Week in 2010. Oh, nice. Like, I couldn't even write about it. I just played it. Wow. That's cool. That's it, crazy. Yeah, because it's like, don't walk there. Don't walk there. Don't walk there. Yeah. <laughs> don't walk there. Because <laughs> it wasn't finished yet. Cause, yeah, because, like, it doesn't. There's no there there. Like I would fall through the world. Yeah, no, for a second that, yeah. I thought you were pointing at your cat. Like it's don't gotta, walk there. No, it's got to be there. cool though. Like was was Spec Ops the first game you wrote? Um, yes, to that extent. I'd written mm-hmm. on other games. Before, sure, but that's that's gotta be cool. As, uh, Family Guy colon the game exclamation point. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mafia Two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty sure i wrote some tutorial text on a game called shattered union which i'm sure you all played on the original spot shit (laughs) (laughs) um that was yeah i mean mafia 2 was really probably the only one that got close to actual real learning how a game is written type of Mm -hmm, writing mm -hmm. um but the others i mean technically can i suppose but yeah i mean look i didn't know shit about how to write a game when I went into Spec Ops, which was 
Oh, you know, I, I and I think this is true for every writer who comes into writing games. You can, and, and I it was definitely true of me. You come in with this mindset of, well, I mean, script is king. I'm going to write a thing, I'm right. hand it off. People are going to fucking make it because that's how you make things. That's how stories work. <laughs> right. And it's no, no. it's not. <laughs> I, I do seem to recall the story in Spec Ops not feeling like it had any particularly large gaps or potholes, which is pretty unusual. I was ex- So in all honesty, I was extremely focused on doing that and was very proud of that. And a lot of it had to deal with me... When things got, I was in enough of a position of influence on the game that when things got cut, uh, I could ensure, like a level or mm-hmm. a large section, I could ensure that other sections were of the story were being rewritten to make sure that there were, like, it wasn't just like we would cut mission five and now four and six just had to... <laughs> The connective tissue was just gone. Like, I would get to rewrite four and six to where five never occurred, and I could move that stuff into other things. How many dialogue sessions did you have to record for that game? I recorded dialogue for that session multiple times over the course of five years. Let's say this way Nolan North was not Nolan North when we cast him as (laughs) Captain Walker. He became Nolan Nolan North. Yeah, he had done one Uncharted. Nolan North. He was like some guy that did robot voices in in Ratchet and Clank sometimes and stuff like that. Like he was just on the cusp because Uncharted 1 had just come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like we were, I think we were still getting him for Skype. Scale. We brought because we originally brought him in to do Scratch VO. And I think we were still getting him for scale at that point because oh, wow. he had had not fully blown up. And by the end, uh, you know, he was Nolan. But <laughs> like one, he's amazing, extremely talented. He all of we were very lucky that we kept. I think maybe for the Scratch VO session. I think our Lugo was different because mm-hmm. we Lugo didn't need to speak another language at that point. And then we got to the final game, we wanted Lugo to speak another language and be a translator, so we had to get a different actor. But with the exception of Lugo, no, we're very lucky that Nolan and Chris uh, Reed, who played Adams, played those characters for the duration of the production and right. were coming in multiple times a year to record. And so, like, they all, over the, uh, the course of the time, I mean, they, they began to embody the characters and we began to write to them and... So, like, oh my God, it was fantastic. <laughs> Having experienced what you've experienced since and knowing what you know now, are you glad that that was, like, sort of pre-ubiquitous performance capture? Oh, God, yes. I don't like performance ca- I mean, I do and I don't. I, I, was, I say that because... Did mean, you guys I'll, do performance capture on that? Mm, or was it just VO recording? They were just VO. We had some okay. mo-cap for okay. things, um, but they, we weren't bringing them in. And but we no one didn't have a camera strapped to his face. Yeah, right. He okay. never did okay. that. And we actually, what we did do, though, is we would set up a video camera and watch them record the VO sure. and send that to the animators for, for reference. reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, obviously, like, you know, with Star Wars Battlefront 2, which I'm currently writing, you know, we're doing great stuff with Performance Capture with Janina and, and the team there. And that's really cool for them because you're doing essentially a Star Wars movie in a game and your actors are getting to actually be their characters. But f- for the level of experience and knowledge I had at the time, I'm so glad <laughs> that we didn't do it on Spec Ops because I I learned how to direct actors over the course of five years of working on yeah, Spec Ops. I was about to say, like, right. do you, in your head, are you like, I will never work on a five-year game again? That is, ex- yes. When, when, the, when I got offered the job to do Star Wars, I was like, so how long is your production? And they were like, look, man, it's going to be really tight. And I was like, can you do that? I was like, 
you you've just Ding. said the magic words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure. I can absolutely write you a story and would prefer that we end our relationship. <laughs> like, please, please no longer than that. Please. Because that's what I want now. Like yeah. five years. And it's funny because I said that at the end of Spec Ops. I was like, I'm never, I'm never going to do this again. And it, I was like, I want to put out more games in a quicker amount of time. And it has been exactly five years since Spec Ops came out, and I have put out exactly zero things until now. So even if I'm not making five years, apparently I'm just going to be stuck on that five-year release schedule when I'm working the whole time. The one thing I'll say that's nice for you, though, is that, uh, you know, it's nice. Like, I think everyone that works on games hopes to someday, like, have the game that they work on and get to have their cred- their name in the credits for, and that's, like, acclaimed, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You know, I've worked on several games at this point. None of them are acclaimed, necessarily. I think that's safe to say. I don't think my my employers would get mad. None of them are like, they're good games. Some of them are good, but some were bad. And and But none of them is like something where, like, in my office, if someone says Spec Ops the Line, there's always someone that will, uh, that will like, basically, like, go for, out, go for out of their cube and be like, oh, fuck that game? Yeah, that game fucked me up, man. All right. And it's like, you know, someone always has like a line or something to contribute, right? Or someone will be like, oh, you remember when the fucking tooltips on the loading screens fuck with you at the end? That was cool. Like, you know, there's I just... mean, that's not even close to the most fucked up thing that happened in Spec Ops. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's not. But I'm just saying that little, little, little nods like that, like those are the type of things that like that stick out in my brain because I'm like, who the fuck, who the fuck does a tooltip Mm-hmm. Like on a loading screen, and just, like puts in a string intentionally to fuck Germans. With you. Yeah, just like well, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the the most fucked up thing. I don't even know if everyone in Spec Ops saw this, but like toward the end, you're in a boss fight, and this is after most of your squad is dead, like including like the white kid. Yeah, is that Lugo? Uh, Lugo, Hispanic. Okay, tech. the kid. Yeah, like the kid, the kid character. Uh, his head appears on an enemy you're fighting. Yes. I don't know if anybody saw that else got that. No. I don't even know if I did. It yeah. totally I did not so get that at all. It happens that. and he's screaming at you with his voice. Yeah. And then Whoa. I think I died and checkpointed and fought the boss again and it absolutely was and, not there. Yeah, it's gone. Whoa. There are also there really things, is some eternal darkness. Yeah, no, it's oh, yeah. totally eternal wow. darkness. There, there are also things where in certain parts if you die when you're uh reloading the game glitches and you begin to see hallucinations and hear static and voices talking to you through the static. Um, a lot of people didn't see those because it's not a super hard game. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's yeah. not a super hard game. Uh, but that's, here's the thing. I love stuff in games, uh, and designers hate me for this. I love, but I love stuff in games that you're not necessarily going to see. Like, yeah, I like right. putting something in a game that maybe 20%, 30% of people will see. Yep. Cause that's the shit you talk about. That's the shit you remember. I know. And it, it almost sucks that Spec Ops came out like not three years later. Cause if it had come out three years later, that shit would have all blown up through Twitter and stuff like yeah. that or something, you know? It's like, but maybe it's, it's for the best that it's almost like now it's like folklore. Yeah. People yeah. share like. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you gone onto YouTube and looked up any of like the Spec Ops The Lion, like, like, postmortem retrospectives that like fans have done uh, like trying to break apart like there's a few things like the um the loading screens that yeah. switch off and there's like the helicopter sound in the background and there's some someone had proposed oh it's like uh you had the main character had died and the rest of the game well i mean they they had yeah they they are dead that's the thing yeah so and like he said, that's in the beginning of the book. It's literally the beginning it's of the book. All, and it's all because my boss pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> and was like, we're going to start with the helicopter scene. And he did it He did it while I was doing the final recording session, because he didn't think I could fight it back. 
And what I did is I flipped over the script page, wrote five new lines. It was Walker like, oh, no, wait, what's going on? We've done this before. Fed it to my actors, <laughs> put it in the thing, made sure it was in the file, like only plays during the second time you reach the helicopter chase. <laughs> and then I emailed the guy who told me about the, that they were going to start with it. I was like, hey, man, so I've just done this. It's going in the game. It means your care. It means the helicopter chase at the beginning is not a flash forward. It's happening in real time. You die when it crashes. Everything else is post death hallucination. I'm emailing you this because in a month and a half, no one's gonna believe I did this on purpose, and this is my fucking proof. Send. Uh, <laughs> and it was just because my boss pissed me off. <laughs> and that's how you write a video game. <laughs> I mean, that's in the book, so I don't have to cut that out. Of right. Yeah, no, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's that, that, that is like the opening of the book. It's it's a, that's why the opening of the book is good because it opens up with this anic- this story. I like that, that I, I used a flash like, forward to talk about how I hate flash forwards. <laughs> that was my. That's actually one of my favorite tricks in the book. Is that the kind of story you tell when you're interviewing with your arms crossed across your chest? It's like, <laughs> don't fuck with me. Do it. I'll make everyone dead. Uh, <laughs> man, I so mean, I wonder about like since spec op the since spec ops the line and you know you instigating that kind of event in the story. Uh, do. Are you frustrated by the narrative abilities of most video games out there, or are you encouraged by the stuff that you see? I'd say both. Yeah. Uh, I'm less frustrated than I used to be, because now if I start a game and and it doesn't grab me narratively, I just stop playing it. Yeah, and it's like I'm. I must stop playing a lot of games. <laughs> you must stop playing a lot of. I games. I do. I I play very few games these days. Yeah. Uh, part of that's because I have a 17 month old baby. So That'll like do that it. Go, that goes in there. Also, for the past uh, year of my life, I've been writing both a book and a major AAA game. Right. So <laughs> you know when you factor all three of these things together, there has not been a lot of time for gameplay. I mean, ba- the Battlefront is one of the few games where it's like that might actually be a quadruple A game. <laughs> Which is both a dice flag, a dice and EA flagship, and the Star Wars game. You'd think it would be more stressful and crazy, but it actually has been super easy. Uh, as far as like mental, emotional terror that that comes into play when writing a thing, I imagine the sandbox that you're given is is very explicit. <laughs> like when you're handed a project like this, yes and no. I mean, it sounds like the <laughs> tough part to me in my mind, like having no writing experience at all, right? But it seems to me like, but working with a licensor because I work on a Marvel game, is like it, the struggle would always be like working with like yes, you're given the biggest license in the world, isn't that fucking cool? But you're also given the biggest license in the world, and that has like this is a world, it exists, yeah. and you have to be within it, and then making sure that what you're doing works within it, um, you know, and working with their story group and going back and forth, you know, making yeah. sure that everything, all the eyes are dotted basically, and. You know, all the Pretty much, and, and yeah, and that's why I was like, yes and no. Like at the beginning, we were really given, excuse me, leeway to come up with a story, whatever story idea we wanted to. Uh, so we didn't come in with like, okay, your story needs to be about this and have these restrictions on it. But then you take it to story group and you pitch it to story group, and they're and they're like, oh no, no, this is good, but like there's some. This isn't going to work mm. because of reasons we can't tell you. This isn't going to work because of, well, that actually, during the time period you're talking about, that character is doing this particular thing. And so, like, the restrictions come in as you begin to balance it against 
all of the other stories they've already told and that are currently in development. Um, and But Story Group is so collaborative and open yeah. and excited to work with you that like when they come to you with a no, they also tend to come with you like three other yeses where they're like, now here are three other things you could do. Or you could just kind of think in that vein and come back uh, oh, at nice. us with something. So, like, it was, it's never been, and, and by the way, I'm not saying all this as a way of, like, oh, because Star Wars is coming out November 18th. I mean, it's, it's Star Wars. It sells itself. I don't need to tell my nice stories <laughs> about it. At least you know the fucking date your game comes well, not out. A, Unlike not... some former podcast hosts of Rebel <laughs> FM. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, only because I have had to say it multiple times this week, and I only remembered it for the first time today. <laughs> I've gotten it wrong on every other podcast. He didn't know if it was October or November. <laughs> oh, Mitch, come on. And, and this isn't Arthur outing him. He literally did this on Twitter. Yeah, he did this in public. It's not like, I'm not, like, blowing up Mitch spot oh my god how does he i mean the poor guy he's he look he's finishing his first game he's under a particular type of stress that he's never experienced before and he's doing it up alone in canada texting me from home and i'm texting him things back (laughs) like hey man yeah that sounds tough uh i'll be up there in a couple weeks but i'm reading a book right now sorry (laughs) uh i mean so he's not getting the most support from his co-writer emotionally he's very lost healthcare (laughs) Mm-hmm. Nationalized healthcare. So you know, <laughs> you know, he didn't have it for the first couple months. Like I think you he had, had to, to be, wait to get his yeah, card. You yeah, you got to wait to get your card. Which I, I mean, I guess makes sense now that I think about it. But yeah. that's you not. Left. That's you not left us. exactly. <laughs> you abandoned us, you hoser. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, he's doing. I mean, Mitch has been doing a great job. Like I, full disclosure. I mean, you guys know this, but listeners may not. Mitch and I were friends before we ended up working together on this um and that we ended up working together on this was a surprise to both of us nice um so in a lot of ways and i think this is kind of why working on this game has never felt very overwhelming to me is that it doesn't feel like i'm writing star wars it feels like i'm hanging out with mitch dicking around making up star wars stories (laughs) uh so it's never it didn't really fully set in that we actually got to do this until christy golden her prequel novel inferno squad which came out in july uh, in the back of it, in the acknowledgement, she thanked Mitch and I. And I, and I was like, I'll never forgive her like, for that. Why is my name in a Star Wars book? <laughs> this, what's happened to the world? Is this because Donald Trump is president? <laughs> like, has everything just flipped? This feels wrong, Mitch. This feels so wrong. And yet so right. It's, it's, it is pretty incredible because, like, I remember, like, uh, just, like, over two years ago or something being first here and Mitch sent me a script for a thing that I think he called Star Wars Scoundrels, which was a script he wrote to get the job. And he just wanted me to go over it and give him Star Warsy notes. Because <laughs> Star like, Wars it up a little. That was literally <laughs> yeah. what I did. I was like, when he described the lady walking down the board of the ship, and it was like this really clean ship, I was like, uh, or something like that. I was like, they're, they're not clean, man. I'm like, go look at the Falcon. It's like Scoundrels constantly, don't clean it's like constantly spitting out steam and shit like that <laughs> yeah. randomly. It's like they're always kind of clunky. Just little things like that to nerd it up for him. Or like tell him the fighter. He's like, it's a fighter. I'm like, no, it's a fucking Z95 headhunter, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, Mitch. Cause, and so... Is there an Ewok kill squad inside? No, of no, no, no. But yeah, no. but yeah, it's just so cool that you guys actually got to work within that and create that. And I imagine the story group, like you said, you know, I, I working with the license could be that trouble. But I know that 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 story group too. A lot of those dudes are gamers. Yeah. Like they do play oh, games. Yeah. So for them, they're just like super stoked to probably actually get to collaborate on a yeah. game with you. Also, like in a way, you're kind of 
back in on the ground floor because ever since the expanded universe stuff was declared totally. non-canon, like and, you are building yes. a universe again. And let me tell you how great that is <laughs> for bet. me coming into writing the Star Wars project at that point because there are so fewer books I need to read in advance. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. It actually became manageable. There's for like twelve me. or something yeah, like that. Mitch, you know, Mitch got to have all the EU knowledge, and I was like. Look, man, I'll read Courtship of Princess Leia, mm-hmm. Tales of the Bounty Hunters, and then everything else that's real. But this stuff you can just keep in your head. That's fine. It will bring what it up when we need it. What happened to the Wikipedia after the expanded universe became? It, oh, it, 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 it's, it just says Legends. Yeah, now. there's two tabs on everything. Uh, <laughs> one says Canon, one says Legends, and if you click on Legends, it's all the EU. My stuff. Legends knowledge is incredibly deep. But yeah, like <laughs> I lived with you. I know. <laughs> but my knowledge of the new stuff is also pretty deep because now I've been like, well, I got to learn about what, who the fuck Grand Admiral Thrawn is now. And you PUBG like, yeah. with the writer of Rogue One, which doesn't fucking hurt. Well, but he doesn't, we don't talk Star Wars or anything like that, right? So, um, no, we never have. I've never brought it up, right? I don't <laughs> want to be that guy. Skeptic. I don't know Gary Wood that much. I know that I play games with him sometimes, but I don't want to be like, hey, hey, man, you know, you worked dude. on Star Wars. <laughs> you should. I did. I ran into him at a wedding and I was like, hey, man, I'm writing uh, Battlefront 2. That's talk different, though. You guys, have that, you guys have that writer connection. Yeah, but I, he had no idea who I was, and I think he was. it was a very off putting <laughs> thing for him. He was just like, uh, oh, that's said, cool. I'm a but... really big fan of the Book of Eli, man. <laughs> I actually am a fan of the Book I of Eli. I actually do like I it, too. I really enjoy yeah. that movie. I like the movie. world building and some of the characters. I think that the ending is kind of... Man, that reveal's so cool, though. It worked for me. It worked for me. Yeah. Like, I won't say it's the best, but it worked for me. In the context of the film and, like, the way it happened and just the way it was shot and the music and everything, at the end, as like, I walked, I was like, okay, I'm... I'm cool with that. I'll live with it. It's nice. And frankly, fuck, it's Denzel. Denzel can do a lot of things, and I'm okay with it. Like, he, he sells things pretty well. That, that movie would not have been near the movie it was without Denzel Washington. That's, that's for sure. Like that's that's every movie every starring movie Denzel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, like, what was that one? Like, Burning something? Man on Fire. Man on Fire. Man on Fire, like, Man on Fire could have okay, just look, been a dumb action movie. Man on but... Fire also has Christopher Walken in it. True. So let's and not... then the Dakota Fanning? Yes. Yeah. And Mark Antony. Yeah, as the bad guy. Mr. Lopez. Yeah, right. but now the what, former Mr. Lopez. Sorry. <laughs> what about Inside Man? Now that's like my, I do like Inside, Inside Man. Man is, it could, then you got Clive Owen on top of that. And Spike Lee. Oh. The, the one joint. There, yes. there was a Denzel Washington movie. Do you guys remember this one? I forget what it was called, but it was like one where there was like a spirit that could possess people, and Denzel. Yep. And it was a psycho. It was a killer that was coming back to kill uh, Denzel John Washington. John Goodman was in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and was McConaughey. No, but no. I know the one you're thinking about, McConaughey. That one's called Falling. Oh, you're right. You're that right. one's called Falling Down. So I, the Fallen. one, the no, one you're talking down. about, falling I used down. to have that Not movie down. poster. But the the one with Matthew McConaughey, that movie is actually written and directed by Bill Paxton, who was also yeah. in it. Seriously? Yep, that movie. was Bill Paxton's directorial debut, and it's a fucking great movie. Wow. The movie Anthony's thinking of is Fallen. Fallen. Yeah. Yes. That movie's fucking dark and cool. It's got Robert De Niro. Is De Niro in that movie? I forget. No, I'm bringing it up right now. John Goodman is in it. Yes. Oh, that's Fallen. Fallen. I'm t- okay, the movie... But go look up Bill Paxton's directorial debut. That movie's fucked up and cool. That's Has Frailty is what you're Frailty, thinking. yes. That yeah, movie is fucking F-word. great. The movie that comes to mind when I'm thinking about Denzel is Man on Fire, and then he did a science fiction movie called Deja Vu. Oh, yeah. I just saw that again like, director, like two months yeah. ago. Yeah, Tony, he did a lot of work with Tony Scott. Yeah, yeah the Deja Vu was great. Yeah, it's such it, a cool story. It's, just, it's really strange and like... I mean, Training Day is good, too. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. That's like a anyway, fun. Denzel Washington's amazing. That's uh, this is know. the Denzel Washington podcast now. If, you, if you're writing a mo- if you're writing a movie, just get Denzel Washington to play like whoever your starring uh, role is. Donald and, and Sutherland win. and James Gandolfini. 
and fallen. Yeah. yeah so wow. here's the crazy thing about that that movie. I used to work in movie theater in high school, and I had I would steal movie posters all the time. Oh and, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. And I taped them all up over my bed. Yeah. Uh, on the ceiling, uh, like my entire ceiling, of my bedroom, and the fallen poster for no particular reason was pretty much above my bed, uh, and it would been there for months. And one night, lying in bed, lights off, sleep, looking up. For the first time ever, I notice that very dark in the shadow of the poster is a fucking face. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is whatever the spirit... And it... Li- oh, my God. I was so you. scared <laughs> to, like, look up at night and see a face in a poster that I had never seen before right. in my life. Four months staring at me in the darkness. And I am from the Bible Belt. I grew up in a <laughs> Southern Baptist evangelical type mindset so yeah, clearly that was a demon that's the fucking devil and he <laughs> is right watching you, me man. and it, just everything about it was so and i've still never seen the movie but that was just like how do you it like is movies? a totally yeah. watchable movie it's right up there with other movies that came out in that period that were denzel such as it's, bone collector it's part of like the tnt saturday library yeah like just oh, movies yeah. that show up on tnt and you're like <laughs> all right Watch this. But I feel like you Shawshank Redemption and a bunch of other things. It's <laughs> TNT. <laughs> I mean, you have seen Frailty, right? Like that one. No. Like, I mean, you should watch that. Coming from it's... the South in a Bible Belt, like that movie's literally all about like someone who thinks they see demons and should go out and kill people that are demons, and then his children trying to be like, should we turn dad into the cops? I think dad actually sees it's actually demons. Like, and dad wants us to help him kill the demons. Yes, and, and the kids are just axe. like, I think they're people, though. And the dad's like, no, it's they're demons. It's Joaquin Phoenix and Matthew McConaughey. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Really, really good movie. Um, it's not his best, though. No, but it was... But Paxton's best is, like, if you want to see Paxton, like, totally unhinged, you need to see Near Dark. But it was Bill Paxton's directorial debut. Yes. So that's the important thing, you know. He's dead re- now. Re- yes, he is. Rest in peace. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things that like, as a, uh, I don't get to ask people who have, you know, written some of my favorite narrative experiences in video games questions very often. So, uh, pardon me for taking the opportunity to say like, are there games that you, do you think that games of a certain level of franchise actually owe it to the medium to up their narrative game or should a game just be able to stand alone on it is and whoever likes it likes it? I would say the latter. Yeah. Here's the thing. I want games in general to up their narrative game for the medium, but I also believe I don't believe in the medium. Um, mm. It's like that's that's a very nebulous concept that I don't agree with because when you take film... Like, every film does not have to do something for the medium of film. It can simply be a film. And I think our tendency to look at games as a medium and what certain things do for it comes from two things. One, that we have not expanded to having uh, the, the diversity of product. And so when we talk about games in the medium, it's still small enough to encapsulate all the different things that are out especially since some of those things fall into very similar categories. Yeah. Uh, and also, too, uh, still kind of an underlying need to validate our choice of uh, entertainment preference. Right. Um, first one, I think, is a valid thing that needs to be fixed. Second one, I think, is something we just need to get over. Like, Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, we like what we like. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but 
So I want I want more games that are extremely narratively interesting and different and doing all sorts of new stuff. And I also want games that barely rise above the level of a Transformers movie. <laughs> because you know, like fuck, I like yep. I like Transformers movies because sometimes the first Transformers I want to movie was good. I want to spend three hours watching nonsense about big robots punching right. each other. Right. Yeah, I and know. Then my, I want to go biggest, home. My biggest problem well. with the Transformers movies is the action direction, but the whole concept of like big Transformers fighting each other, I'm all into it. You I mean know? I like, literally went and watched the new Godzilla movie and the only part of that movie that I like that movie did nothing for my emotions or my brain, but it was right. really cool to see Godzilla grab another monster, pull its mouth open, and shoot fire down its throat. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's that like made my same, $8 worth it. It's the so. same thing with like Pacific Rim, you know, <laughs> where it's like, this movie doesn't need to tell me anything other than that humans have giant robots to fight giant creatures. That's all I need out of this movie. Yeah. And it did it, and it did it really well. And, you know, I... And I the, the thing is, is that, like, I totally agree with your sentiments on, like, where we are on the... You know the narrative, quote unquote, responsibilities of video games and where they are, but and what we are lacking is definitely the amount of diversity that you have in film. Because you know, like I can, I can find tons of different narrative experiences in video games, but uh, there's definitely above a certain budget level where they tend to gel together into a similar experience. I think the the problem is more that writing is the thing that gets cut first. And if I was going to say, and it feels to me like a lot of times people take shortcuts with the dialogue of some of their main characters. You know, my biggest critique of Destiny 2 is that its main villain is terrible. He's so boring. And it's like, I just can't get over how I, bad I he is. I think that that's bad writing, but I think a lot of games just suffer from the fact that, like, you're putting the car together as it's rolling down the freeway. And, like, yeah. when you have when something has to give, like, the thing that is the least traumatic to the product like in the, the operative word being product is like story. Yes, I agree with that. But I think part of it comes down to what writer you have and who, how much freedom they have and how much from they're being given by directors. How much because, they're being listened to. Uh, well, I mean, like in this sense, like if something gets cut, I was saying earlier with spec ops, like if something gets cut, I like to be able to rewrite to erase the cut. Right. But sometimes they're, you know, like people who aren't writers who are making decisions are cutting of cutting like, well, look, we don't have the production needs uh, our production resources to make this thing. But we liked all the stuff that was in there. So that's got to stay in. Well, but no, guys, that's not how stories work. You cannot cut everything that that was built around yeah. and then keep the story in. That's not now you've got a story that's moving too fast. You're getting most points that aren't earned because you don't understand that if this goes this goes right <laughs> uh, also I, you know i'd imagine well like one of the things that probably helped spec ops this is me inferring just from certain mechanics that were in the game and stuff uh would be that i imagine it's not every time that like a writer gets to help out like it i guess it depends how much the writer is embedded with the design team or at least leads from the design team to be able to discuss with them mechanics that could help tell the story like i imagine it's got to be harder for some of these big triple a games if most of the story comes from a face in the corner that's animated with a radio transmission or at most they get that or they get an audio log or they get a cutscene, And that's like, that's how you're telling your story through cutscenes and audio logs. And that's it. You know, like, like gears of war, like I'm going to tell the story while they, while we load the screen and that's where I got to <laughs> sh- get my story in. Cause other than that, it's all action. And so I have to imagine with things like maybe part of the way that it's helped you to be able to write stories was to be able to work with designers and actually have mechanics that could help. Like maybe like, you know, putting the face on the guy, 
that's not something that necessarily tells the story, but it does help with the themes and the feeling that you're becoming unhinged and helps sell your story better. Yes. And I'll pretty, by the way, the answer to most of my questions are always, is always to start yes, yes or no. And <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I, I've uh, never been a writer, so. That's the way the real world um, is. It's messy. There is a lot of truth to that, where being able to work with designers and get uh, certain things that I need for the story is very helpful. But I think what helped me the most learning how to write video games was getting none of that. Mm-hmm. Getting no help whatsoever from the video game at all. Because mm-hmm. that meant I had to take what I had and learn how to make the most out of it. And make the, the most efficient story. And this is where a lot of yeah. game stories fall apart. Is they say, okay, I want to tell this story. And I have... By the way, I held up my finger to point to because I decided I'm going to illustrate this, and now I realize we're entirely radio right now, so I'm going to lose the visual illustration. But I'm going to tell a story A, and I have only been given the resources for stories C and D. Mm. Fuck C and D. Story A is where it's at, and I'm going to do it anyway. That's not how you write. Right. Yeah. You go, you write story C and D. And you write the best damn C and D that anyone could re- ever write, and now you've made it. Because here's the thing: like Final Fantasy 15, regardless of what you think of the game as a whole, like they had all of this technology and stuff, blah 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 blah. Final Fantasy One story worked just fine. They didn't have shit. Yeah, you know what? Comic book. Hey man, let's let's tell something like a movie, except that we freeze frame at random points and there's no movement. And also, you only have 22 pages. And like, go, okay, cool. Like, you can tell an amazing story with any amount of resources. It's that in video games, we refuse to acknowledge the resources we have and write to them. Mm. And so we end up with a lot of stories that are struggling and fighting against the game that they're made for. And and the same thing goes with theme and uh, versus like gameplay, which is where you get ludo narrative dissonance. Like, I want to make the story where I'm the hero. It's going to be great. Players love that. <laughs> well, what are they doing when they're not fighting enemies? They're just killing whoever they want, man, because it's fun. <laughs> right. That's like, those aren't you. The reason you can do that and we keep doing that, because here's the ultimate truth about story in games. A bad story has never tanked a great game and a great story has never made a bad, uh, uh, a bad game of financial success. Hmm. A great story can elevate a good game to a great game. And a great story and a great game together can elevate it to something legendary. Yeah. But story on its own has never affected the financial performance of a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think the story of the newest Legend of Zelda, for instance, was really anything at all. It was. I thought it was total crap, but the game itself was great, so I didn't give a yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but at the same time, it's had so to funny sk- to me to hear you say the new Zelda game was great after like all the fucking discussions we had about like how much how uninterested you were in that game. Ah, that game's like one of my favorite games I've played ever. Now it's <laughs> funny. It's as funny as that is to say. Just You're fucking right, it is. So yeah, <laughs> I, I refuse to play it. Sorry, Why? I played it. I went over to a friend's house. He handed me a Switch. It's like this game's so amazing. You can climb anything in the game. It's like that's awesome. And I walked over to a wall. Wasn't climbable. <laughs> and he was like, okay, well, not everything. And I was like, oh, so you're telling me it's just another fucking video game. Okay, yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> so Sorry, Link. Let me ask you a question then. In, in your recent time where you're very time constrained, you know, baby, which is just like an overwhelming amount of time consumption and pressure and stress, 
which I can't imagine also taking on a job and the baby and everything and writing a book at once. Well, like, that wasn't the plan. The, <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you real fast. The book was already contracted for. We were discussing having a baby. And the, I, I very... Whoopsie baby. Huh? Whoopsie baby. It was It wasn't a whoopsie baby. It was a... Ultimately, we ended on, if it happens we're okay with it. If it doesn't happen, we're okay with it. But there was a very specific day where we were like, are we sure we don't want to maybe not do this? And I, and I said, <laughs> I do have this book I got to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess later. what? We're fairly certain. Yeah, we're fairly certain that within a 24-hour time, like, circle around, that's, that conversation was when our, our daughter was in conceived. In the movie, that's where the title card comes up and it says, dot, 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 two weeks later. Yes. Uh-huh. And so... And someone throwing up in a bathroom. <laughs> once we knew we were pregnant, we were like, okay, we are going to move back to Louisiana. Uh... Since we know the baby's coming, I'm going to quit my job and focus entirely on writing the book so I can just get the book done. And then about two months prior to baby being born, and we're just thinking we're going to go to Louisiana, have a kid, write a book. I'll become a high school teacher or something. I don't know. Die at 42, fade into obscurity. Right. I get a phone call. Hey, do you want to write Star Wars? Ah, oh, shit. Really? <laughs> one more. Okay. One more thing. Well, Yeah. We'll throw that on, too. So it was never my intention, and I will never, ever do this again. Next time I'm writing a book, I don't even answer the phone. No one, I don't care. No one's picking up. Police, sorry. I'm writing a book right now. I don't know what you guys need. Yeah, but it's... I baby's mean, being, new baby's going to have to take care of itself, man. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you had a, you were going into a much bigger question. And I, I apologize. I don't even remember it now. It was probably something honest. related to like are there oh, any yes, video yeah, game experiences yes. that you actually I was can say, do yes, and enjoy. The, 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 you talk about games that are super narrative driven being something that is the hook yeah. for you that gets you these days. I'm wondering, is there anything that you've played more recently that either maybe you didn't get around to before because you were working, or or things that are newer that you're like, oh, this is yeah. like actually really like to you as a storyteller, you're like, this is good storytelling. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so here's. Let me just say what I'm not playing is, and I've tried to get into them, and I just can't at this point in my life. I can't get into open world games mm-hmm. because I, both with the kid and just I have a general sense of guilt of like, that's 100 hours that I could put towards other things. And now that I'm freelance and I'm, I'm writing books, like, that's like farming time. Like, I could spend that 100 hours towards something that might be a crop that I can turn to profit when mm. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I'm not pulling a steady paycheck every two weeks anymore. So sure. like that actually balances against all, you know, being able to eat eventually down the line. Right. Um, that said, the two types of things that I really go for, I guess maybe three, you could say first off, if your game is between two to six hours, boom, I'll probably check <laughs> it out. That's my sweet spot. Yep. But here's the thing. I'm only going to sit down and play one game a month and probably only once so that's why that really fits in to me because like i can set aside an evening and be like tonight's the night this month i'm playing a game (laughs) and i can get it done tonight and that's really cool uh second do i know you and did you make it (laughs) this is important because i like to see the work of my friends Mm -hmm. i like to see what they've done, but I also, and this really started with Greg Cassavan when he went off, uh, when left Spec Ops to go, uh, found Supergiant and work on Bastion. Yeah. And he finished that game really soon after, and I got to play it, and it was the first time in my entire life where I sat down, played a video game, and I saw the creator 
in it. I saw my mm. friend in his work. Nice. And video games are all about us hiding ourselves so that we can lie to you and be like, no, it's about you, buddy. Right. Yeah. I seriously. got divorced after busting my ass for five years on this, but hey, there's 2,000 guns. Have fun. It's all you. <laughs> uh, and it, it's bullshit because it, 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 this, we've created this very weird. We'll get back to that. Never mind. Anyway, I like seeing my friends in their work. I want to see other people in their work. Is that it makes me that happy. you that you want to look for your friends in their work? No, because I didn't start. I wasn't looking for him. It was just like I from our conversations and our time hanging out, things would happen in the game. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I like I mean, I'm seeing his influence and in things. I want if I even if I don't know you, like I'm at the point now because I found my friends in their work. I want to see that in other work. I want to sit down and play a game and feel like I am getting a specific statement and experience from the person who made this. Hmm. Now, I'm saying all of this is clearly almost entirely going to be indie games because a AAA game is far too big for something like that. Uh, unless you're working with uh, on an, in one of those games that has one of these singular creative... Yeah, auteur kind of thing. Which is basically like Kojima... Who I I'm sure is a perfectly nice person, but his games have never done anything for me. Or like yeah, or like either. Ken Levine or one of those people. Yeah. So um, uh, Neil, yeah. Neil Druckmann at Naughty Dog, you know, like his story influences all over the Last of Us games. Do you, you know, consider kind of Spec Ops kind of an indie game, even though it had a two K as a publisher in a way? Uh no, I've always considered it a triple A. I've okay, I, I would I would consider it a fluke of triple A. Yeah, because yeah. it was just because you're talking about triple A yeah. games it too big to really have that. You know, a massive fucking anomaly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if it had sold, it might not have been. Yeah, that's always a heartbreaking thing <laughs> when there's a game. Yeah, that when you're like, here's the thing that could literally change the way games are done forever, and like, oh, I didn't sell. Here's well, the thing though, I don't consider it heartbreaking because look at how games treat success. All you would have gotten yeah. is a bunch of fucking games about how, hey man. Fuck you for playing me. It wouldn't have been, it been any good. It's like, oh, Guitar Hero's great. Let's all make a music rhythm game. Well past the point where just, that's profitable. Just yeah. checking, what number Spec Ops was the line? I believe it was nine. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> but it was. It's, I don't even think about it in the same lineage as those other no. Spec Ops yeah, games. I mean, it's a completely uh, different game. Like, those, were, those were budget titles that I don't even know if they had a story. I mean, I certainly never played them. No one involved in their creation was involved in this one. No. The IP simply ended up at Take Two. Rockstar tried to make a, a one, a Spec Ops game. They got half a year or a year into it, and we're like, no, oh, we got nothing. So <laughs> the IP fell to 2K. And so yeah. we had 2K just had to pick up the title and make a, because production started internally. And it's like, okay, we got to make a Spec Ops game. And then they contract with Jaeger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, there was even a point where we talked about dropping the Spec Ops part of the name and just calling it the line, but ultimately it was decided, like you know, with all the work that it's gone in with and owning the IP, like just use the name, and because because it was internally the idea was like you said, those other games are just were budget titles that were so many years behind this one, there was no reason it couldn't stand on its own outside of those because it was doing nothing that those games had done. Right. And no one really remembered them, except for journalists who would ask, yeah, but wasn't it just a budget title? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so going back then about those two to six hour games, what, what are some of the two to six hour games that you've played more recently that you're like, oh, fuck, that was great? Um, I really liked Inside. 
I really liked Virginia. Mm. These two games uh, brought me much joy. I think Insight is a comedy, and I don't think <laughs> other people have realized that. It, it how, how so? Well, I don't think I, you're the first human being I've ever say, <laughs> heard say Insight's a comedy. Now you're a kid who sneaks into a pig farm so that you can go into a vast underground facility, be devoured by an interdimensional fat blob, so you can bust your way out and die on the beach in a ray of sunlight. Are we past That's the hilarious. Yeah, I think it's yeah. fine. Yes. Are we past the statute of limitations I think it's fine. on that? <laughs> that is... How is that not a comedy? That is, I mean, admittedly, it's a weird French comedy kind of a thing, but it is a comedy. When, when you're inhabiting the other bodies with, like, the helmet, and they're just, like, flopping around, yeah. like, there's a lot of slapstick. Yeah, every, yeah, it's clearly, like, a dark comedy thing. And right. also, let's talk about this facility for a second. Let's, I, I've been waiting months to really dig into this game, because I, I live in Louisiana, my wife watches me play games, kind of, but she doesn't play, mm-hmm. and she doesn't care, so she leaves the room. So now that I'm in a room full of people who play this, <laughs> let's just go one step further. What the hell is this place? I mean, on what are they what do they do? And and why are they hiding? Inside a pig farm when there are clearly hundreds, if not thousands of people working at this facility. (laughs) So many that there are entire wings, whole underground buildings that have been flooded and abandoned. (laughs) This is a massive scale. And yet they're all like, hey, dude, I think we got that. We got the fat blob working. This is a big important thing. Forget all the underwater girl zombies we created. Check it out. The fat blob's going. And how, like, what the hell is this place? It's the research facility from Makura. Okay. I like that actually works for me. I'm okay with that answer. I mean, that, that game is Akira. I thought of it. I was more game. of like a Dark Tower nerd. So when you read the Dark Tower and you find out about the old people and how they were like people that had gone mad with science and stuff like that, that's how I see it. They're just people that are just like beyond, like beyond in a scale that is like so, it's almost magical, the scale that they've gone to things. You know, it's when I read Alien. I read alien books, by the way. Like mm-hmm. The franchise Aliens. I'm in my second one right now. Uh, in addition to Halo books. And, yeah, I read a lot of dumb fiction. Um, and, you know, the Wayland Yutani Corporation and that is basically a magical thing that has, like, what you're talking about, where they have, like, vast multi-mile facilities that they've just abandoned because they've done crazy research there. And I don't know. I just feel like, to me, that's what resonated with me is just, like, people that are insane. They're insane because they've lost touch with, like, empathy and like everything is literally just about progress and manufacturing things maybe they matter maybe they don't who gives a fuck we're just trying i don't know maybe that's just like that like i said that's that's where my brain was (laughs) my dark brain took it so so not quite the comedy angle for the no i saw it as a very depressing thing but now that he points out the slapstick stuff it actually resonates more with me like you know even with the pig thing the first pig you encounter you have to pull something out of its ass yeah. it's kind of, it, it is like almost like weird dark i i would agree with the the comedy element if it didn't end in tragedy but I, I, it's so nebulous at the end tragedy is comedy tragedy comedy is bad things happening to someone else like the bad thing and inside happens to you i i you choose to do it but it's still, you're like you're still also, like the only way of escape is like beaching yourself, dying is the the body blob. 
better than being basically trapped in a where tank. you started. Well, so I will say that I don't think it's you. I think you die as soon as it crushes you. And look, now not every blob. game is you <laughs> die before the game is over. Okay. <laughs> Um, but most of them are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think very few. If you really I, think about it, the, what's funny about it to me is that I don't think that's the intention. I don't think the blob is trying to die. The blob goes to all of this stuff <laughs> to get out, and ends finally on this beautiful sunlit beach. And uh huh, you die in the sun, stupid blob. <laughs> and it just rots there, night next to the water. The everything you've done completely fucking pointless everything you did in inside was pointless so that's and that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit more 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 brutal than say like their last game limbo that ends yeah. with like a moment of like hope yeah. like almost in that one yeah this one's like the first game was hope this one's like meh like has, has anyone here seen brewster mcleod no. Am I the only one who's seen the Robert Altman film Brewster McCloud? Yeah, I've never seen it. Okay. Never Has that got a similar vibe of... So it's uh, uh, Bud Court uh, from Harold Maude. He's mm-hmm. a young kid. Uh, he's de- he thinks he might secretly, in his dreams, be serial killing women that he's going on dates with. Okay. but And at the end, it turns out, yeah, he might have been killing them. And the police chase him to... Uh, a fas- oh he's obsessed with birds and <laughs> hawks and he builds this flight suit and police chase him to this inside auditorium to to arrest him and he's got his wings on and he's running away away from him. he's flapping and he's flapping he f- and he takes off and he's flying and he's flying through the air and the police are like what are we getting they're all running around on the field on the soccer pitch like how are we gonna get him how are we gonna get him and he's like oh I'm flying he's circling around but like it's a closed dome he can't get out and also he's getting really tired. He's just getting higher and higher. He's getting so tired. And finally, he just he can't do it anymore. And his wings just collapse. His arms collapse in. And he just falls all the way down from the top of the auditorium and just smashes on the ground and just dies. Lays there dead. And there's just this moment of silence. Everyone's staring at the body. And then a parade with a marching band and everything <laughs> comes into the stadium <laughs> playing music out of nowhere and as the credits begin to roll a circus animals they're trapeze artists and in the center of the screen his dead broken body on the floor and it's so when this blob reached the beach and died all I saw was Brewster McCloud <laughs> this explains and, a lot <laughs> which I saw on HBO in my grandparents' house as a kid when I was not allowed to be watching HBO. So yeah, it might explain more than just my feelings on Inside. Many, many other things about how this I developed as a child. for you. It could have been. It was really intense as a kid. I had, I didn't know. That sounds intense as an adult. So here's the thing. Yeah, I only like... knew, I only saw the ending. So Bud yeah. Court is a little angelic baby face guy with mm-hmm. glasses like me as a kid. He's <laughs> flying and it feel like not knowing the story, I'm like, oh, this is a happy ending thing. Oh wait. And then he <laughs> dies. And then they're like making it into a sur- and I was so con- I was I'd actually really it made me really uncomfortable and disturbed. You know, like some of <laughs> yeah. those things that you see as a yeah. kid where you don't understand and you're like, yeah. I don't like that. No, exactly. Yeah, but it stuck with me. It wasn't until a couple years ago when I remembered it and I Googled the movie and I was like, 
oh, well, it turns out that guy was kind of a sick fuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but sure. as a kid, I had no idea. Yeah. But this is why, yeah, I mean, look, I have a darker sense of humor. There's certain things I just think are funny. I still, like, I'll, I'll die on the hill that I still think Inside is intentionally meant to be funny. I think um, that there's humor to it, for sure. Yeah. Like, in Limbo is, like, an example of... I mean, yes, it's totally humorous the first time you jump and land on a spike, and you're like, Jesus, but you also laugh a little bit. Yeah. 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 I just think that inside is much more sort of overt than that. Um, So you said inside, and then uh, uh, Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, you liked that as well, Matt. Um, I, no, I never played Virginia. I thought you did. I thought no, yeah, like, I, I, I you kept liked... I kept meaning to, and then it's just Virginia is brilliant, and I'll tell you yeah. why. It does what no other video game does. It says, mm. "Hey, what if we cut out the pointless parts and just <laughs> cut from moment to moment like a film?" <gasps> Who knew that film could teach us things? <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> like we don't just because we built a hall doesn't mean the player actually needs to walk through the entire hall. They can yeah, enter seriously. it, and then we can cut to the other side. Yeah. And now sometimes it's important to make them walk down that hall wall because. When a journalist comes up and asks us how long our game is, we need to tell them six hours, so we need to get, like, 40 minutes of hallways into our game. For sure. So. so like You're a, not wrong. Like a, uh, <laughs> midway through development report, we need 34 more minutes of hallways, guys. Right. It, it, yeah, yeah or, like, or, like, we made a really cool-looking hallway asset. We should use it a few more times, and then, but also, like, decorate it slightly differently and put enemies in it this time. I don't know. Oh, this particular geez. this particular hallway is the best looking asset in the game. We've got to reuse it. Yeah, yeah. Um, reality. So yeah. Virginia, it's harsh. Yeah. Come to mind. Um, I mean, a couple of other stuff that was longer. Did you play her story? I did play her story. I was a big fan. Uh, that was, to be fair, that was prior to all of my current gaming restrictions. So I was playing a lot of stuff at the time. Hmm. Um, but I did like her story. Um, I didn't like the cheap thing in the middle. Uh, the clips that uh, the word that the search word that brought them up were like yes no I was like that's kind of fucking cheap uh, <laughs> but it you know it, it added like an extra three hours of play time for me <laughs> trying to figure out what those two fucking words were um, <laughs> so I guess I got my money's worth um, I really liked Pyre by Supergiant that just came oh, out yeah. that one I, I ended up being much more affected by than I originally expected to. Night in the Woods fucking rocked my world. And that game, I mean, that's longer than obviously two to six hours, yeah. more like 12, but was worth every hour I put into it. And nice. I really liked that a lot. Do you find yourself sort of judging games on that standard now? Yes. Like worth every minute I spent? Yes, because I'm now like every minute I spend is valuable at this point. Like, I could be reading a book, I could be working out, I could be painting, I could be mowing the yard, I could be spending time with my daughter or my wife. Uh, I work from home, my wife works from home. So it's when I'm working, I am actively ignoring the rest of my life as it's happening outside that door. It's not like I'm in another place where I can kind of shut it off. So that gives me a certain level of guilt throughout the day of how I'm going to spend my free time at the end of the day. Cause it's like, okay, I've spent all day ignoring them. Do I want to keep ignoring them so I can do more stuff by myself in this room? Right. Um, yeah. At least if you like go away to an office or whatever, then you have an excuse to, right. To yeah. be, to not think about them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but at the same time, I'm also open to, I mean, not every 
minute I spend has to. I I I I've played enough and I've made enough games. Yeah, but, but we've started yeah. talking a lot about quality of life here on the podcast and about how like when it feels like a game really is just wasting your time or when it really is just trying to squeeze something out of you yeah. and like how valuable your minutes seem to be the uh, the older that you get. Yeah, like, are we, I, oh, are we going to talk about Destiny now? Well, we, well sure. <laughs> but, uh, I, just, I just mean that we used to, like, a lot of us used to be, like, complete completionists. Like, when I played yeah. Fallout 3 several years ago, in a very different pl- place in my life, I did everything. Yeah. When I did Fallout 4, at some point I was like, I just got to see the, the storyline through yep. because I just, I can't. Yeah. Like, and I my never life, finished the storyline because the only thing I liked doing was building settlements. So it was like... Or the thing I loved the most was building settlements. After a while, I was like, I don't even need the story in this game. I just need to go get Making supplies. settlements in a way is telling your own stories in that game, though. Because yeah. then you get to see how people live in the village and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. You know, it's interesting to say that, though. Because, like, the only games I've really 100%ed in a long time uh, are probably the Arkham games. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And if they ever make another one, I'm done. Because hmm. I now feel, one, like I've done it enough times. And two, also, I kind of feel like... I'm enabling the Riddler at this point. <laughs> like, if, if I had let, just stopped solving his shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. If Batman was let, it, let real, him win one time. Yeah, exactly. Right. The world's greatest detective would have figured that shit out that, hey, maybe the guy in the asylum for obsessive compulsive disorder who's obsessed with riddles maybe needed a little help and not just another punch in the face. Maybe you didn't need to antagonize him so much. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, he's he's the billionaire punching poor people, so clearly he knows right. um, what's best. Yeah, I hope, I hope in the Arkham world there's public health care because that guy puts a lot of people Seriously. in some serious, oh, yeah. some serious medical lifetime needs. <laughs> what I love the most about Batman is that if Bruce just, like, dropped the leather fetish put his billions of dollars into uh, public reform and Mm -hmm. running for public office as a sheriff and actually used all of his years of fucking ninja training to enable a training regime for the Gotham PD, that city would be crime-free in, like, two months. And also, I will point out another thing about Batman that I love. Batman, the whole thing of can or will Batman kill the Joker, I think is... I think there's a clear answer to this. Batman is the only person who should not kill the Joker. Yeah. His standard and everything he stands for means he cannot. This carries over to literally no one else in Gotham City. (laughs) Anytime the Joker walks outside, everyone should be pointing a gun at him and pulling the trigger. And the fact that they do not... Is a that just uh, that bothers me? Yeah, because let's be honest, this is still America, <laughs> and to say that no one's shooting at the Joker as a citizen—that's just dishonest. <laughs> it's true. I I can't imagine not just running immediately when I see him, as opposed to pulling. Totally, out but there's going to be like that be one nearby. guy who's been watching right, Magnum PI at guns. home, and he's like, and he's like, oh man, now's my chance. I'm going to be on TV. He's got guns <laughs> and a posse. Right, but I'm saying everybody has. Like, I'm expecting. Cause, oh, so, so there, you're in arm the public. Well, no, Gotham. think about all the time. If, yeah. if we have a Joker, yes. <laughs> Without a Joker, I'm actually all for gun control. <laughs> but so there was the, the No Man's Land arc where um, Gotham is destroyed by an earthquake. Uh, oh, yeah. and, at, and at the end, like, uh, Gordon has a gun on the Joker. Mm hmm. And then he shoots him in the spine just to paralyze him. Yeah. And it's like, 
fuck you, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> this is everything from this point on. Right. That's your fault. Right. Because you exactly. wanted to make a thematic statement about how he paralyzed your daughter, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? <laughs> he can still kill people with his working hands, yeah. Jim. Well, often that you hear the words blah, blah, blah following, he paralyzed your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I have many feelings Semantics. about the morality of Batman yeah, <laughs> and then Gotham City. <laughs> what were we talking about? It was a game. game oh, just games, oh, yeah, no, games that you liked and 100%ing stuff. 100%ing yeah. games yeah. and things. And Arkham yeah. was, Arkham uh, was I, 100%. Oh, yeah. so the, the, the amount of time that it takes and that I had a point I was getting to. And it's gone. It's not even in my <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I don't even know what it was. We don't and know. Batman it, does that to we people. don't have to make yeah. points all the time. I, yeah. I was thinking though, there's two games that I'd recommend to you, just based on your your time scale and story liking. One would be Little Nightmares if you like Inside because they're very similar. Have you played that? I haven't. It's a really weird game and it's like six hours long. It fits in your timetable. I like that. What's and it on? It's, it's on everything. everything. Okay. Yeah. And then the other is a game called Event Zero. That one's only on PC. But if you haven't played that, that's a game where it's largely done through typing interfaces uh-huh. and it's uh you're you're walking around a ship in real 3d space but you're going up and using terminals to talk to this ai and the ai is actually really well written and responds to like various like they wrote a really good chat bot basically nice. and and it, the way it fucks with you and you're trying to learn what happened to the ship and learn about why everyone's dead is really interesting and again fits in with your timetable right yeah. that is interesting i will say though i am kind of tired of games that are uh uh, you walk into a place, everyone's dead. Find out why. Ah, yeah, but they're that, so cheap to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one the the uh, I've been playing. Uh, it's an indie game, PC only. It's called Subsurface Circular. I have it. I have it downloaded. Even I just haven't yeah. sat down to play it yet. It is very cool. You yeah. you will not regret it when you get to it because uh, you know it's it's basically a twine game. Only it has an actual like game engine there where it's like. Uh, the subsurface, cir- the whole premise of it is that the subsurface circular is a subway system that's underneath the regular subway system that all of the techs, the TEKs, which are basically AI robots who sometime in the past were freed into actual citizenship and they have jobs and stuff like that. That's bullshit. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, you're, uh, you're a detective. Uh, you're a robot, like the other robots, and you're a detective, and basically you communicate to each other basically through a chat interface. And so, you know, it's a very basic twine thing where it's like, robot says this, you have a selection of replies that you can choose from, robot says another thing. And, you know, there's basic word game puzzles that go along with it, and you find out that there's tech bots that have been disappearing, and it seems like the entire game just takes place while you're riding a subway. Have you finished it? I haven't finished it yet. It is, it is entirely on the subway. You do, yeah. not, you do not leave that subway car. Yeah, like, like you do the, and like other bots get off when you're, when whatever, you, you've used up all the options to talk to them or you've solved their puzzle or whatever, and some other bot will get on. And, uh, this sounds really yeah. cool. It I'm is. excited to play. It's, it's, it's uh, super cool. Bithel. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, the art style is great. It's so much fun to look at because, uh, the, the subway that you're in is constantly moving around the subway track and, the lighting effects are really good, and it's just a really nice way to show that, like, oh, you can do a Twine game and have a really, really, like, just simple game engine that does nothing but sit in a room and it's a background art, but it, it's so evocative because of the way that there, it works. There's small things in that game that remind me of uh, riding the subway in Tokyo and, mm-hmm. like, the chimes that, like, up for each of the <laughs> yeah. different stations that goes off, and it's like, Shibuya, boom, 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 and it's, like, it's a <laughs> custom chime for each one. Did, yeah. I, did I just call, I just called him Tom, didn't I? It's not Tom. It's Mike. Mike. It's Mike. Mike. I, I was... Oh, you're thinking of Tom. Yeah, Tom I, I, my, my brain for some reason said 
Tom Bithel. It's Tom Bissell and it's Mike Bithel. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> Sorry, Mike. That game's cool, and I think that game's like Stories Untold is also a similar thing where they're largely like twine games, but wrapped up with some very very light mechanics. You know. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. Me because, too. I mean, clearly, there. I like games with words. <laughs> right. Well, also, yeah. I mean, you, it, 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 they're also like games when they get like that are almost like like reading a book in a way. Yeah. So, when I've, I've said a lot that I, you know my. I want a Mass Effect game that's basically, you know, all the conversation stuff and none of the combat. So, it, like, a, almost a telltale. Almost a telltale game, yeah. but in the Mass Effect universe, yeah. It's interesting, because uh, on the reverse of that, like, I want, like, a GTA game that's set in a town that's, like, uh, five square blocks with, like, 15 residents, and that's it. Oh, yeah. Like, that's I want... Super detailed, state like, of the small. Decay. Yeah. I don't know. Is that? Oh well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the it's an open world zombie thing, but it's like persistent and like you develop characters and you sort of swap between them and they have backstories and stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. It is interesting. Um, and it's like anyone who dies dies, like for real dies. Hmm. Yeah, deep diving into the lore. So is that that's something obviously you had to do for Battlefront? At yeah. least learning. I mean, was was it something? Let me clarify. Actually, I've always wondered. Where about did this, this question come from? <laughs> you star- picked it up like we continued a conversation. <laughs> yeah. because I'm really confused. Because for the last ten minutes, did I I've, black out for a second. No, 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 no. You guys are just coming into the train that's been rolling through my brain station for like the <laughs> last. Been 10 waiting minutes. to pick up that Halo. Book. Yeah, yeah. Because I've, uh, Arthur always gives me Halo books he acquires because I read them all. Simon and Schuster sends me Halo. Well, books I for read. Some that's reason. the thing is, like, I read a lot of like. I just like to learn, like, I, when I get a little glimpse of narrative into a world, I just want to learn more and more about it, which is why I've been reading the, the canonical alien novels that are out. Wow. There are new canonical alien really? novels. Yes, well, the one I'm reading tied is... tied into Prometheus. And stuff. Well, the one I'm reading is, like, 500 years after the alien movies, and this person is a long descendant of Alan Ripley. Huh. So... I don't think anything alien is canonical if it's not a film. And even then, I think only, like... I mean... Five of them are actually considered. Canonical. I'm pretty sure that neither of the Alien vs Predator movies are canon anymore. Well, I mean, just the fact that they were considering letting what's his name make another Alien movie, Neil Blomkamp, yeah, that uh, ignores three, and that four. ignores three and four, like makes me believe that canon doesn't mean anything. I don't alien. think that that movie was ever as close to happening as some people thought it was. I mean, also I, fair. I don't think that you're right. Canon doesn't mean as much. I think that. The books, the books I read, definitely seem like the canon stops with three. It goes mm. one, two, and three, and that's the canon established by the worlds. So, and hey, fuck you, Janelle made a movie, okay? So yeah, it's just it's, it was the city of lost children with aliens, but it was a fucking alien. <laughs> uh, but yeah, had I mean, Winona Ryder, and is also the first alien film I ever saw, and I thought it was fine. Mm. Fine is it's it extremely is French. Fine. It is remarkably French. <laughs> it is fine. It is fine. But it's yeah, but like. But the the books are actually totally uh, throwaway. Anyway, <laughs> I mean they're fun, right? They're, they're the same reason you read a, a 40k Space Marine book. You know right. what you're getting. I'm going to read about humans going in and getting fucked up by aliens, telling the same shit that I've seen in, in the movies a thousand times. Ha ha ha! Isn't right. that interesting? Um, but the reason I was asking was, uh, you know, going to deep diving and lore and stuff like. Some of that, obviously, you needed to do because you needed to better understand the timetable and the themes and what's going on established. But was there also some of that that was like, I don't need to, but now I'm just in it. I'm fucking in it. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I mean, once you you get in the zone, it's like, man, just keep going. Because now you're feeling like writing a story usually just kind of feels a little bit like being in a vacuum or being very focused on just the narrative of this thing. But with 
Star Wars, as I'm doing all the research and I'm reading these other stories and writing my own story, it's the closest I've ever felt as if I'm actually taking a step into the world that I'm creating. Because I'm writing this story, and then I'm reading this story that's happening in a completely different part of the galaxy. Maybe it's overlapping in certain ways, maybe it's not, but it's almost like I'm reading a newspaper (laughs) in the story that I'm writing that someone else fucking wrote and I'm learning <laughs> and that's a cool thing yeah, for me when that's like it really felt extremely immersive at mm. that point and people are going to have to take into account what you've said for years I know yes. the, the idea of an inferno squadron and these super dedicated uh, imperials is like a thing now that yeah. is a thing yeah, yeah. that's so cool other people are going to write your characters they already have I love it it makes me super happy. I mean, what man? If you there could even maybe be a toy sometime of your characters. I'm there sure is. There will be. <laughs> it, the, there's a GameSpot exclusive. It comes out when the game. Oh, yeah, there's GameStop. Infer- GameStop. Yeah, okay. GameStop. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it comes out the day that it's a pre-order. You could pre-order. They announced it at um, whenever they announced the <laughs> game. What was that? Was that at E3? Was that at D23? Gamescom E3, whatever. One of the D23 was the announcement, I think. Yeah, then it was a D23. So, I guess what I was going to ask you, just because I read all those books too, I was just wondering if there was one that that you liked the most. That one that stood Hmm. out to you is like, of the new sort of, for me it's the new Grand Admiral Thrawn. That was just because to me, Timothy Zahn's books about Grand Admiral Thrawn were like of the legends, like some of the most heralded stories and I'd never read them until I was an adult well into my adult years and then they blew me away and then when they were like all that shit's gone I was like fuck you mm-hmm. and then they were like but Timothy Zahn's writing a new a new Grand Admiral Thrawn I was like alright 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 <laughs> and then I read it and I was like holy fuck he actually in my opinion made the character even better mm-hmm. than he was before so and- I only I only read Heir to the Empire I of the original Thrawn stories I only read it if, uh, about six months into writing Star Wars because Mitch wouldn't shut the fuck up about Thrawn. And That's really hard to imagine. Mitch wouldn't shut up about something. So I wanted to find out because he was like, oh my God, Thrawn's coming to Rebels. This is so amazing. He's played by a Mickelson brother. Oh, I'm like, I, I need to understand why this Thrawn guy is such a thing. And I read it. It was a good book. It was a good book. But uh, I didn't feel the need to necessarily jump in and read the others because as I was reading, I was like, oh man, there's a lot of interesting concepts and blah, blah, blah. No, stop. None of this is real anymore. You just need to ignore this. It's because a fever was, dream. It's yeah. a Star Wars fever dream. But I, the thing is, I was starting to like take some of that stuff and digest it into the current canon stuff, and I was yeah. like, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I stopped. I didn't read after the first one, and then the Thrawn book came out, and I read it, and I agree with you. I thought it was fantastic, and it's because uh, Zahn, what Zahn does with that book is that he made a book that affected the reader the way that Thrawn affects people in the Star Wars universe, in that you have an instant distrust of him, (laughs) and he continues to endear himself to you, guiding you down this path, and you're still thinking, when is the table going to turn? And And it never really does. Even Mm. though you ultimately, at the end, still don't know anything about him, you now find yourself totally in his camp. And that's the insidious thing about Thrawn that I loved so much and that he made us go through that journey as if we were a character in the universe hmm. to where at the end we're like, fuck yeah, Thrawn's our hero. No, Thrawn's bad. He's clearly bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like you don't really know exactly what he is, but they had a really good foil in the character that they wrote too of like the redneck kid that's like yeah. his, his like up and coming dude. I don't know. I thought it was a fantastic book. The other ones that I really enjoyed... Um, 
the newest Princess Leia book that just came out was really great. Hmm. Um, and it worked as an amazing companion piece to the Rebel Rising uh, book about Jin that leads up into Rogue One. Like, literally to the moment, uh, like, it starts after the little prologue mm-hmm. scene in Rogue One and leads up oh, to, it's the, like her being captured. to her being ca- taken oh, by the no Rebels mm. and fills in that nice. whole uh, plot with her. And I thought wow. that worked really nice. Because with Leia, it's like, how did Leia come to be a rebel as a princess with all of this wealth and loving family mm-hmm. and support? And like, hey, here's Jin, who literally just watches her mom die and gets fucking dumped on a spaceship. And then spaceship gets raised by a terrorist with, leader. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And what happens to this girl who has nothing that Leia has? Yeah. So like, re- I read those two back to back just by chance, and they really worked well together. Nice. Um, Are you reading awesome. any of like the comic stuff that people read, like Karen yeah, Gillan are doing? Reading them all. Uh, cool. I wait for the trade paperbacks to come out, sure. just because I like to put them on my shelf. Um, <laughs> Single issues are exhausting. They are at this point. It's like trying to watch a TV show that's not already all out on Netflix. It's, right? Yeah. It's more like trying to watch like an hour long TV show up to the first commercial break, and then and waiting yeah. a month for the next yeah. part. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. very true. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm still. I will probably reach a point where I stop consuming all of the Star Wars stuff, at least as it's released. That point is not now. Yeah, well, uh, I, d- I just mean, like, I know that, yeah. like, the very few times that I was offered even the potential that we might get a contract to work on certain games, I was like, oh, I will, give me it all, give me it all. Yeah. Like, I was going to work on a Thing game, and I was reading everything I could about Thing, and also, like, Thing comic books that people probably don't even know existed. You know, so I just know that that for me was like I'm I'm not even a story person. Yeah. Like so for me, I mean I like story, but I was not a person that got to write story. So, uh, but you're using it to inform yourself of like what, what kind of, what, but it's also an excuse just to get excited about the project yeah. in a right. way. Like you're just like holy fuck, it's so cool that I get to work on something that's beloved. In well, a way. I mean, look, I've never I never owned a, probably a Star Wars action figure growing up. I liked the movies, uh, and I remember, I think Jedi is the first one I saw, and again, on HBO, when I wasn't supposed to be watching it. But I really got into Star Wars when the special editions came out on the big screen. Sure, in the 90s, because yeah. like, you and I are very, you're only a couple years older than I think of me, so that would make sense. You would have been in your teenage years yeah. and exactly. able to actually go to the movies by yourself. Yeah, uh, and so I real like, I didn't, I wasn't part of the generation that had all the Star Wars toys to buy at first. Uh, my cousins were. They had a lot of them. And so I would play with them when they weren't around to punch me. Um, but, like, I now have so many Star Wars toys. <laughs> part of that is you get this wonderful justification where you come home with hundreds of dollars of action figures and your family looks at you <laughs> incredulously and you go um it's reference it's <laughs> also tax deductible yes <laughs> um and and in part it is like it, it i did like having uh, like the the disney infinity figures for a lot of the oh, characters yeah. like damn like, those things are good yeah they they're, were the really sculpts good. are fucking incredible yeah. yes so like having them they're very they're very dynamic and lively yep. so having them up there like as i'm writing to be able to like look up and be like Oh yeah, Star Wars and like, yeah, <laughs> like you know, was was nice. But then I started just wanting to get like characters that I liked from the new films and things. And I, I really, I the ones I've really found that I like to collect are just the extra figures of the aliens. The alien, I love, especially all the new aliens coming out of yeah. the new films. Rogue One had so many great designs, and 
my favorite stormtrooper design of all time. The shore trooper are, as Mitch and I call them, the Rainbow Boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They are, like, that should have... I know, they appear for, like, 30 seconds, and that's it. Like, and they are beautiful. <laughs> in every way. That should have been the design since 77, and it never should have changed, except maybe more rainbows. More colors. <laughs> when we, we dropped that name in a meeting with Lucasfilm Story Group, and that conference table just went silent the rainbow, rainbow boys. and like confusion on their faces and yeah pablo hidalgo like looks around to his uh, co-workers is like rainbow boys and we're like let me explain oh you don't know that term yet well you then you're really gonna love danger frog let's tell you about danger frog because uh, we had come up with all of these just shorthand names yeah. for yeah, yeah. these rogue oh, one characters that were popping up in trailers and things yeah. And they were so kind to spend the rest of that meeting only referring to shore troopers as rainbow boys. And it was so nice for us to believe that maybe we'd made a difference. And from now on, that's just how Lucasfilm would Someone refer to them. listening to this podcast really needs to add this to the Wikipedia. A.K.A. <laughs> rainbow boys. A.K.A. rainbow boys. I mean, maybe. You don't know. It's like... Why are they called? Why rainbow boys? Uh, so the armor is uh, kind of a tan. Yeah, uh, and then they have right like uh, streaks of blue, streaks of blue and white and yellow and red, uh, right. and they'll have multiple. Whereas like normal stormtroopers might have one stripe of color, right. these guys will have some of them will have all four, and so <laughs> it's like a rainbow. They're rainbow boys. They're colorful stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you never know. Maybe maybe it will get one of them to say it, and they'll end up saying it in a video, and then it'll blow up, and it'll be because of you. I, I mean. Know. I play a lot of Battlegrounds, and everyone in Battlegrounds... See? Has, That's a rainbow boy. Uh, yeah. Every, you know, I, I, I yeah. was looking on my phone. Uh, everyone in I Battlegrounds has, like. has ubiquitous terms for, like, two buildings in that game. One are the fuckboy shacks. Everyone calls them fuckboy shacks. I have no clue why. I still don't fully understand what a fuckboy is. And two... <laughs> Uh, is Wait, a tower is is or or are they called HPTs Harry Potter towers? <laughs> and everybody will say, I was watching a streamer today who I've never met in life. Don't know anybody that knows him, and he's like, Oh, they're in the Harry Potter tower. And I was like, How the fuck I, do you know what we call them? Like, <laughs> how is that possible? The weirdest game specific term I have read this week is for Destiny, which are blueberries. What are those? I'm pretty sure it's people in Destiny whose gear is blue. Oh, oh yeah, the blue drops. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're level twenty. They're like level twenty, but all their yeah. drops. Are I guess I would say to everyone listening to our show, let's make Rainbow Boys happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like Boys. you know anybody who works at Lucasfilm or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to make Rainbow Boys as much a thing as we can. <laughs> like, it it's happening. It's not like you literally. It's, <laughs> it's not like you literally know someone who will be at a Lucasfilm facility tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's true. It may not be the thing our culture deserves, but it's the thing our culture needs. 100%. Yes. Yes, uh, Rainbow Boys. Wow. That also, I can, I get, every time I hear it in my mind, I just hear Mitch's dumb voice like in my head. You know, all these things Rainbow sound like boys. Danger Frog. I'm just like, oh, it's all here. It's all here. <laughs> Terrifyingly good Mitch impersonation. Uh, I... <laughs> Look, I spent 40 hours with him over the last week playing Destiny. <laughs> and 100... I, well, God, I've played most of the majority of my games, probably 500 hours with of, with him playing Dota. <laughs> and then many more were working with Dude, there him. Are, yeah. I was going to say, there are many things about Mitch that I like to impersonate. Uh, one is the fact that he laughs like Banjo-Kazooie out of nowhere all the time. Like, you know, Banjo-Kazooie? <laughs> yeah. But Mitch is always like, ha, ha, ha. 
It's just like <laughs> chuckle. And then also whenever Mitch whenever Mitch uh, hiccups, he goes yo. Like he, like like he's like doing this weird. Every time he does it, I echo it back at him, and he's like, "I can't fucking help it." And I'm just like, "God, you're so weird." Like I love it so much, and I love I love everything about him, and I love his mom too, because his mom is the meanest lady I've ever met Lisa in my life. Lisa Dyer is a rock star. <laughs> yeah, she made fun of me. Like I just met her, and for the first thirty seconds I made her, she just talked so much shit about me, and I was like, "I've never met you, you're crazy." <laughs> I. I, the first time when she came out to San Francisco and Mitch was still working at IGN, we went. they're going to a baseball game, but we went to get drinks at 21st Amendment, which is the bar right next to IGN. And we were drinking, and I think Mitch wasn't. And we both started making fun of Mitch for something. And she was like, oh, you're my best friend now. You talk <laughs> shit about my son just like I talk shit about my son. And I was like, well, I, 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 he's like one of, my, one of my very good friends. But I, yeah, uh, yes, okay. <laughs> At least it's, at least it's the best. I'm You've been listening to, to RememberingMitch.com, so the yeah. Remembering Mitch podcast. <laughs> well, Mitch was here for a long time. and He was. If there was one thing that could take him away, it was Star Wars, I guess. So. I know. Love you, Mitch. It's, it's good. I mean, yeah, and I am looking, I think, you know, I think everyone here is looking forward to playing it. Like, for me, playing Battlefield Battlefront, <laughs> the thing was, for me, I played it because I'm a Star Wars person, yeah. but I was never, like, super beholden to the original Battlefronts. They weren't that intense to me, but, like, or that intensely loved by me. Because I do like Star Wars stories. That's just it. I yeah. like mm-hmm. I like I like Star Wars stories. Yeah. And so any sort any level of Star Wars story was enough to engage me and so that's why I was that's I why have, I am excited yeah. that you guys actually were able to contribute and help make Well, I think you're I think you're gonna be very uh, uh, pleased. And not just that, but I you know, not not making not making you <laughs> like go you were to, gonna say, I think you're gonna be pretty disappointed. No, I, was gonna <laughs> say, I expect you to be sad. <laughs> I, well, I, I think the thing I want to say is that is that uh, the narrative to me, the reason I, when I heard about it, the most exciting part to me was that it didn't just end up being, yeah, you're an unnamed rebel hero, right, like exactly. you're, you're not another Kyle Katarn, you're not yeah. another uh, Dash Rendar or something oh, like that. Those people have names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not yeah. anymore. <laughs> Now they're puffs of smoke, right? Yeah. In they the don't fever exist. dream of the But it's like universe. you know, right. I, I could go on to name like every you know. The funny thing is, is, like every fucking rebel hero went on to find out he secretly had force powers and became part of the Jedi Council. Like that's like almost <laughs> universally true. It's fucking crazy. Uh, but you know, you're not all these characters, and and the the fact that you uh, you know are playing Imperials like that was the thing that I was like. Yeah. I was almost uh, like surprised that that was a thing that could even happen just because playing bad guys, granted you did it in the forced unleashed, but that led into being like, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I guess I was just surprised in this time that you got to make a game where it's like, not only are you playing Imperials, but you're playing Imperials who love the emperor. Like I was like, that's a weird fucking thing. Like it's, it's also just a cool narrative thing that we never got to see in the films. There were people that were loyal to the empire, because I guess that was the life they were living, but people who like loved the emperor, that was like something you didn't really, you know, like yeah. the senators would clap for him and stuff, but you never really got that sense of like, I forget the feeling I'm getting watching the early stuff about the game and stuff. I'm like, Oh, this is almost like more like Romans. Like these guys are like Praetorian soldiers who are like fucking love that dude. We serve him. We will fucking die for him. Like, yeah. like they may not be wearing the red robes, but they seem obsessed on the level of like, yeah. you know, Imperial most guard. devoted. Yeah. yeah, and that's what's interesting to me is like learning yeah. about the psyche of a person like that who like literally like because the, all the films and everything for years has taught me well those people are just fucking crazy and the rebels are the only sane ones so how do I see and learn empathy and even to like someone who is fighting and killing rebels because that's the life or like what brought them there like yeah. what did they see 
was it like, you know, someone growing up? Like, you know, I guess I think about that stuff all the time because to bring it back a little bit to real life is, you know, I had an, like a Israel uh, studies teacher in college and, you know, he was very traditionally Jewish and he wore his yarmulke and stuff, but he was always very open about like how the empathy he had for Palestinian guys who were labeled as terrorists and stuff. And he's like, dude, I lived in Israel my whole life. I would literally see when Jewish families went in, just moved into their houses when they got kicked out and then they'd come back to move back in and be like, ha ha ha. Now we live here. And he, you know, and he's like, so I, he's like, I see these people that fire rockets and stuff. And I realize like how they got to this point. And mm-hmm. so that to me is the interesting part to me is like, how do people end up in that sort of, uh, you know, state where they're willing to do these things. And in the name Snoke. of something. Well, yeah, and just, I'm just saying, like, like you know, like, I like it when characters aren't just, they're bad because they're bad. Right. You know, they're, it's like, uh, how did they get there? How do we understand them more? And, you know, it humanizes them a little bit more than just being a faceless stormtrooper. So, mm-hmm. anyways. All right. Yeah. I'm sticking an ice pick in Star Wars talk. We're murdering it. <laughs> I mean, I'll, talk, I'll talk Star Wars for, for eight hours. <laughs> I know you will. That's what I was afraid of. When walking. Mitch is like, Walt wants to be on the show. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, God, it's going to be extended universe shit for 90 minutes. <laughs> so far, only 70, though. Well, we can talk about another we, mystical I think we uh, space, have to. space universe. Yeah. That well, makes even less sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this, yeah. Yeah, but this, the Destiny 2 weight makes way more sense than Destiny 1 ever did. That is a low goddamned bar, sir. I never claimed otherwise. But yes. The, yes, it does. It actually seems to give a shit right. that you understand what's happening. Yeah, as long, as long as you don't give a shit about your villains being good, the, the story is actually pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it's just that, you know, it's like, uh, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. It's just that, like, I thought that the main villain in Destiny 2 was going to do something interesting right with his character. Like, what is like, he, oh, okay. so the main villain in Destiny 2, is he just like, like, I guess... For that, for I've only seen what I've seen of Destiny Two is like the opening. I've I've yeah. seen the demo they put out and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, saw the part where they were fighting, and so the the basic premise. You know, I know the basic premise that he had the Watcher, and it was supposed to keep Tra- the, last, the Traveler. Uh, yeah, the Traveler and is supposed to keep the last city we're safe. Get so many right. anger emails. Yeah. This is the Marvel Universe, motherfucker. <laughs> and the uh, and so the the Cabal, which were an enemy faction in Destiny One, make a surprise attack on the last human city, and they imprison the Traveler. And it's a specific they, faction yeah. of the Cabal called the right. Red Legion, yep. who have a symbol you're going to see a lot. Yep, they do, and the. Um, yeah, everything in the Destiny universe has branding. It's very future. And branding is fine. <laughs> Not everybody gets a fucking bookend of their logo on their cutscenes. <laughs> it's true. Mm. Um, and so anyway, the uh, and in the process of them capturing the Traveler, all the light, this is what gives you, the video game character, the power to resurrect every time that you die. And your special abilities. And all of your special abilities, uh, the light, you're cut off from the light. Uh, so you don't have any of that stuff. So that's the prim- So that's how they Metroid you, so that you have to like go through the game to get your ship. So back. how do you resurrect? Um, you are the only. Is it a spoiler? No. Yeah. It, no. Because no, right. guess right what? You got your fucking light back. You get your fucking light back. Y- you specifically like you're uh, you're a singular. You just yeah. you guardian. Yeah. Just you guardian. And you and everybody in your fire team. Yeah. And every uh, everyone else. <laughs> right. Of the millions which, of people who are playing Destiny right now. Which is hilarious because it's. 
there are a lot of shards of the traveler out there. It yeah. turns out, yeah, yeah. like the, you're you're going to rescue rescue the vanguard, which are like the leaders of all the guardians, and they're it's like, the, how do you get it back? Akora, yeah. and except for Cade. yeah, and you're like, except for all these other. Th- Two people got it back, and all the people in the in the farm got it back. <laughs> and, and, right. and I will be honest: if you had asked me the names of any of the characters in Destiny after playing forty hours of it, I would have been fucked. Destiny but I one, do, yeah. remember some of them. And th- and that's and that's yeah. like taking away like the the campaign is like yeah they do set up all these different characters. You get time with them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. go so far as to say it's a proper campaign the way that you would expect in like a linear shooter but it's more akin to a proper campaign right and and on top of that and we we've talked about it last week i think mm-hmm. we hadn't finished the story as of last week uh no i don't think so right and, and now getting into the late game or in, i'm in the late game you spend a lot more time with those characters there are other quest lines post uh, like main quest finish yeah. that you spend with each individual one of those characters. They're and necessarily also around. fail safe and fail. I like fail safe a lot. Fail, yeah. Fail safe is an AI on the. Did you look for the captain yet? Mm-hmm. Great, yep. Looking for the looking for the fail safe yeah. captain is a great quest line. And the amount of writing, like in that game versus Destiny One, is just it astronomical. Is. It like is. it's there's so much. The, did you know? Did this happen to you too? Like. Uh, I think it started this week. Like all the dialogue for those the strikes. Uh, for the strikes and for the world events and stuff is all acknowledging that you've been there before. It like it, yep. it all changed this week. Whereas like it, oh, it, look, it, it was the, happening last week as well. It was happening last week. Yeah. Where it was like oh look, the Vex are starting to build another tower again when you're in a world yep. event, and then like when you conclude it. Then they say new stuff as well. I was like, this is all new dialogue for all this shit that I already did last week. How much dialogue is in this damn game? It's yeah. crazy. Um, but when that game, when, when you come down to it, the late game in that game is uh, about a grind. And, oh, yeah. It's uh, a grind. It takes slightly longer to get to it, to grind. Right. And there are more side quests. Right, right. And, and um, some of which do have writing that is not bad, and yeah. a couple that are even good. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of which is in the main story. I think. Okay, that's not that's not true. There's some good writing in the main story. Cade needs to shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> the main villain is terrible. And the main villain is. I don't agree about Cade. I like Cade a lot. I, I, I think he's was really fine. Good. He'd be fine at fifty percent. Fifty percent, Cade. Would be fine. Look, he introduces the best character in the game, Colonel. The Colonel is pretty <laughs> good. Colonel. Colonel. Who's a chicken. Um, but he can play, like, there's a level in that game that takes a really, it's the penultimate campaign level. Right. Mm-hmm. Is like long. Mm-hmm. Like really long. Uh, with talking, a lot of fucking When you're near the sun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he spends like a good 20 minutes complaining about a tank. And it's like, I, okay, this stopped being funny. Oh, man. Like I, thought that was I, I, I really I enjoyed that. Thing. Yeah, uh, to too. clarify, is Cade, who's Cade? Cade's, Cade's the, the robot. robot one, like played the by Hunter. Voiced by Nathan Fillion. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I was getting, I thought it was the he, he is the He is the 100% the comic relief throughout all yeah. of Destiny. Until you get to Failsafe. And then there's two comic reliefs that are really good. Failsafe doesn't talk nearly as much as Cade does. She well, does in other missions. Yeah. She's also not Nathan Fillion. So. <laughs> I think her voice acting is, is more entertaining. But yeah, the um the so they the raid got released this week. Yeah. I uh, my How fire you... team tried it last night. Did you try it? Yeah, we got three encounters in. Uh 
the raid is three bosses in or three encounters. I'm calling period. them encounters because they're not bosses. Oh, okay, okay. There's not really bosses. We basically in. just got to the first one. On, when does the first the, raid the for Battlefront one. two hit, Walt? <laughs> we got to. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so did, wait, so do you, you got there is the we got to the bathhouse. Okay. And you, you did not beat the bathhouse. We did not beat the bathhouse. Okay, it took it. It took us about three hours trying to figure out our team coordination to get every phase of that correct. Okay, and then we we got very very close to beating it once, and then we tried once again after that, and everybody was like, "All right, I'm going to bed." Right. I so what, what, can I can I talk sure about yeah it no, I was going to ask about it, not yeah. say something about okay, it. Okay, go ahead. I no go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say the, the set it up the, the raids in. Destiny 1, for the stuff that I watched and have them participated in, are relatively linear mm-hmm. in their in their format. And this is as well. But the way that after you beat the baths, it opens up and you're basically, you can explore the ship and there's little like side paths and little side areas that have other things to do. And it's not a small area. It is the size of an entire zone. Like, wow. the, the, like the EDZ, it is that size. That's crazy. It, it, it like you just keep like we spent f- three hours la- last night. And we probably spent an hour just running around the area because the, the the concept is you get invited to go on to the Cabal command ship uh, to the, like meet the Emperor and uh, and kill him. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, that's but, not why you're invited. I assume. no, he he invites you. Yeah, like, you show up and he's he's just like welcome to my palace and the entire this, this giant gold palace on the back of a ship. That's called the World Eater. Right, but the Emperor doesn't invite you to kill him. Uh, he invites <laughs> you to, to try. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that seems like a bad idea. Yeah. It well, is for him eventually. Yeah. Because um, I'll just reload every single time until yeah. it works. <laughs> but the, like, the actual area is like this magnificent gold, magnificent gold ship that's kind of like we we're talking about Roman in style. And there's, as you walk in, more, there's. More Egyptian. Egyptian and Roman kind of. Together. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, of like there's these legionaries that are just like lined up and they don't attack you they just like stare at you as you walk into the palace mm-hmm. which is like something that never happens in that game where there's enemies that aren't attacking you unless you get a server disconnect and the AI <laughs> stops working <laughs> yeah which I experienced yeah. and then when you kill an enemy they go away and then reappear exactly <laughs> yeah. where they were um, then you get thrown to the title screen yeah I've definitely had some of those issues on like on like Saturday in the middle of the day when I, I'm sure it's peak hours for them on week one I was definitely having like weird you yeah. know connection issues stuff but that's definitely gone away as like the, yeah. the week has gone on the week has gone on but yeah the I mean, they took the servers down for a long fucking time yeah um, well, and the uh, really cool thing with this raid, too, is that, like, uh, while I was waiting for everybody to get on so that we could jump on, I went to the planet Nessus, and this thing is near the nearest to the planet Nessus, and I was looking in the sky, and I was like, huh, I don't remember this big, like, giant structure thing being in the sky, and I couldn't tell if it was on the horizon or in the clouds or whatever, and then you go to the Destiny map, and you see that same thing. And it, Are oh, these the big pyramid it, things? It's actually the World Eater. The whole ship and everything yeah. is nearest to Nessus, and you can actually see it in the Nessus sky. So, you know, like, they, it's just crazy to, like, see those things relate to one another. Yeah. So the area is massive. The actual playing of the raid is something, like, I have never experienced in a first-person shoot. And I played the first one, mm-hmm. but going in blind with six people who there like there have been streams going on all day a lot of the puzzles had already been figured out we went we said we're going to ignore all of that 
and we're going to go in and try to figure this out on our own. Nice. Um, it, it, did it did it feel a little bit akin to like the first time you ran a raid in WoW or something like that? You know, and you were like, "Ooh, how are we going to handle this? How are we?" Gonna get- yeah, but uh, like even in that, like the WoW community is it, it get, figures that stuff out, and then it's like expected that you know it. Mm-hmm. It's go- terrible. Yeah, going yeah. and this, I think this with uh, WoW rage like ten people now or something. This is with six people, and we specifically said, "Hey, to these six people, do not." go look stuff up we want to like figure this out on our own yeah and i wanted to go in blind but the group that i was with the majority of them were like no i just want loot they spend all day reading about it yeah and like watching the streams and stuff like that so they theoretically knew how to do the encounters before we even went in yeah and that's and that's really unfortunate because at least in my mind like i would be a little bit disappointed like because the way that we figured these things out and specifically the bath encounter um, it takes place in a bathhouse that has all these chains. Mm-hmm. I kept on wondering if you were saying the word bath. Yeah, 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 like yeah. Bath encounter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're and basically with, with water that hurts you. Yes, <laughs> but what's less important is like the the way that they designed that encounter is it's all these chains and chains and gears that are like you're interlocking in with each other. The actual mechanic of beating that boss um, is interlocking gears. It, like mm. it requires you to act like interlocking gears that have to sync up perfectly so that they're they're pushing on each other and going around and helping one another continuing that motion. Yeah, there's like two pe- there's like two people that have to stand on these platforms or four people that have to stand on these platforms to like lower these ch- lower these giant chain things while there's two people at least this is the way we did yeah, it yeah. while while there's two people that are floaters that help out these other two people because there's these big enemies that spawn next to these platforms you're standing on. And if you're off a platform for too long, it like wipes a raid. Uh, so it's like, it's, it's all about timing and about like, Oh, I have to go into the center to get my buff. One of the floaters needs to come in and stand on my platform okay, I'm coming back, go help out the guy on the other platform on your side. And it ends up definitely being this thing where, like, uh, everybody knows what their job is and it has to be in sync. And that's when Destiny raids or the boss encounters are at their best is when people can be in sync. When you figure it out, when you're not making too many mistakes and you can pull it off is incredibly, incredibly satisfying. And it's not, it becomes where the mechanics of Destiny where you are in a you hold square or X to interact with something or you're shooting something mm-hmm. becomes secondary to the coordination and the communication that you're having with your team. So right. the, the thing about this that strikes me and I, and I've read some other people note this as well is that in a lot of ways, destiny two feels like a much more inviting sort of introductory experience than destiny one was that it is more accessible than the original game Absolutely. was. It's, it's, it's not a DPS race. Like I don't, I'm not talking about the raid. Yeah. I'm just talking about the game. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the game itself is more welcoming than destiny one was yeah. like, it's, it's less opaque. Yeah. Um, but this raid feels like the next raid for destiny, like for people who did every other raid yeah. in destiny, like that it is extremely complicated that it is not friendly to to players who are not like it is not the kind of thing that you just run in and figure it out. Yeah, it's not for it's not for those people. I but that's interesting to me because like it shouldn't it be because like eighty five percent of the people playing Destiny have a level twenty character. So yes, on PS four, but, but that's also why they introduced the gu- guided games where it's there's there's the g- hardcore group of people like the people I'm playing with that went in and 
all they cared about in the first week was how do you min max mm-hmm. to the highest light level, light level or power level, whatever, whatever you want to type. Right, because light levels aren't there anymore. Right, it's, it's power just, level. It's same same concept. It's just renamed. because I've I mean, only been people looking at literally, power level. people Don't make me literally think about still number. call it light level yeah. in the conversations I hear. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see myself generate light every now and again. I have no fucking idea what for orbs, which give me what they're they're, they're, you generate it, and other other people can pick them up, and it it can give them super. It boosts their super meter. Okay, it's for other people. And when you when you kill things with your super meter, yeah. Um, But that that's the thing about why guided games is there is so that you can then (laughs) go look at people and bring people in, and they can give you ratings. That's the whole thing about guided games is you're. This group of two can pick up a third to do a, sh- a nightfall, which is one, like the hard hard dungeons, and then you're you're given that the person who is being picked up can give a, basically a rating to the people who are teaching that those people. Yeah. Um, so there's they literally built a system in the game for you to teach new players how to go through a strike and, or a raid. But if you teach new players, do you get something for it? Yeah. The, so they they rate you, and like depending on their rating of you, and depending on I think. It, it doesn't matter if you complete it or not. I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. Because I haven't, I haven't played enough with the mechanic yet. Mm. But it's, uh, if you're in a clan, you get clan XP and you get a, uh, a bonus thing that says, like, I had a successful guiding experience and I got rated high enough. And you get loot eventually. Um, but but the, my point was saying it's not for them. It's not for them in the first week. Right. Because they're not going to be high enough light level. There's... There was a, basically a, a way to get there to do it, but then it's going to get figured out, and that's the thing is I I really enjoyed figuring it out, mm-hmm. and then they built a system for those people who weren't aren't going to be able to experience it right now, when and when let's say people were like, well, I did the raid, I don't want to do it anymore, I'm just going to do other stuff in Destiny Two, that those people who want to do the raid can then go go look for people who do want to do it. Also, like, I'm just curious, like, how long is the campaign in this game? Like, hour-wise? Eight, eight hours. Like, I just figure, like, a lot of those eight, people that are, a lot of those people that the more casual people, they're not going to grind it in a day, like yeah. a lot of the way that the hardcore people did. So I think it, it'll like, be a while before they're raid-worthy. From right? zero to, f- to finishing the campaign, I think, was, like, 14 or 15 hours for me, but I also did some side stuff. Yeah. Because, like, less so than the first game, thank God, but still in this is, like, there's a point where you will not quite get enough experience or gear to be at the power level that no. you need for the next yeah, mission. Yeah, they, they, they want you to do some of the side stuff during, um, the, during the course And that the doesn't game. happen for, like, five or six missions, probably, yeah. six or yeah. seven missions, but it's still there, and it's still annoying. Well, like, and, and usually, like, uh, usually if you need to up your power level a little bit, you just need to do, like, uh, like you know, those... Uh, public events are happening around you all the time doing some of the side quest adventures which are actually really fun and really well written um, I mostly have just gr- like grinded out public events because like the ones that I do I know how to trigger is heroic yeah which is I'm fucking so annoyed that I know how to pop a heroic in a public event like that that's <laughs> why does that annoy something. you because I I'm still not sure if I'm enjoying this game and yeah. I played like I've not played 40 hours. Like I played. I'm beyond that at that from like probably like to 50. Yeah. I think Xbox says I played like 20, yeah. 25, something like that. Uh, so how, how often are you playing with other people is the big question. Like not at all. Like it's, it's all with randos because right. m- the times that I can get on or I can't schedule my life around destiny. Well, no, of course not. But, uh, that's the, the big appeal for this game always for me. And definitely for this one 
is the people that I'm playing with. If right. I didn't have, if I didn't have the social experience, yeah, uh, I would have quit the first Destiny a long time ago. And being on the ground floor for Destiny Two and being so excited along with everybody while we were playing, I got to go through almost the entire campaign with somebody else helping me out. So you know, I drilled through it really quickly. And we had a really good time because we could talk about it while we were doing it. We could share things about the stories, you know. It's like it makes me a little, a little torn on that though, because like with games like with shooters, I don't like to go through cooperatively the first time through because mm. like I want that time to sort of like soak it in at my own pace. And there's something like a thing that I feel like I, a thing that I observed on Twitter that I feel is is sort of like a factor in which Destiny is at odds with itself is that like in some ways it wants you to ru- sort of run through and do the MMO thing where you're like just doing objectives as fast as you can and grinding and all that. But also like it, there are so many spaces that feel like it wants you to walk slowly through and like drink it in. Well, at least the people that I played with anyway, uh, anytime there was any voice dialogue that popped up, everybody would shut up. So you weren't talking over them. Uh, and we would quite often go like, Oh man, look at this. Look at this. Come over here. Look where I am. And like you come over and like, look at this window. Oh my God. And everybody would just take a sec. I played you know? cooperative games with Anthony. Yeah. So I've been <laughs> scarred. How did I scar you? You <laughs> blow through shit so fast. <laughs> like I, that I don't want to go stare at the fucking wall? <laughs> yes. That is, yes. You, want, you need to go yeah. look out the window sometimes, sometimes man. The, sometimes the window is there to look through, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would end up being one of those people if I'm playing Destiny. Well, I did like, I like, I don't like to look at the wall, but I do like when we hit a Vista. Like, yeah. that was something in WoW I did. I didn't look out very many walls or stuff in WoW, but when we'd be like in like one of the temples, <laughs> like the troll temples, I don't yeah. remember the name of these zones, but you'd hit yeah. like a big open Little area. Grow. Yeah, and you'd be like, holy shit, this is really cool. But yeah. then in the end, I was like, all right, now let's just fucking clear the trash. Like, right. shut up. No, there, there is a ton of that in Destiny, though. Like, I, everywhere you look is an amazing vista. Do you feel like the raid is sort of a positive sign of the direction of raids? Absolutely. Okay. Because, it, like, as it comes down to, it's not... We had... Uh, Miranda was a little bit lower light level than everyone else. That was... That's a problem. No, no, no. It's not. Because... It's not about a D being a DPS race. That's the whole thing. It's about the mechanics of, of the actual. It was a lot more about the encounter. As long yeah. as you had, uh, a, as long as you had somewhere in like the the two sixty to two eighty range that it recommends. Oh, you see, were that's doing fine. enough damage. But yeah. like, if you're two fifty nine, even it would still be fine. Like, so, you, you couldn't even enter. Oh, you couldn't even no, enter. You have to. You, oh, have okay. to be you theoretically could have been fine. So, like the, the way that it worked in, in Destiny, apparently, much. and I think and I don't know if it works this way for everything in Destiny Two, is that like every point below the recommended level you were, it would drop your damage by three percent. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and it may be that still, but the way that this is designed, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it just won't let you in. Well, yeah, you have to be at, you have to be two sixty, but then the, within even within that, yeah, there's some damage, but the way that they built the built it is not it's not about like i said being a dps race like there's uh, like hard caps of like hey if you don't beat in five minutes then you're screwed but most of the encounters aren't aren't built around i'm that. just like i'm curious to to hear you talk about it because like i like i'd see you guys in the discord and you're all like very excited about it and like jason is very excited about it and stuff like that but i also like have like this whole other group of people that i see on twitter like writing stories about how they really don't like the raid or like how like Destiny Reddit doesn't like the raid or stuff like that, and so I 
don't I think I think the, the Reddit does, and I, for the people who don't like it, I don't know what they were going and expecting. I I may never do it. Yeah. So I I don't know. I I it scratches. Let me put it this way: it scratches the same itch that Dota does. That um, and in a way that is a social experience that is both challenging and also incredibly rewarding. And I'm not talking about the loot. I'm talking about the physical aspect of doing it and and talking to my friends and saying like, oh, we have to, we have to do this and we have to do this. And having those discussions is, is more interesting than the actual mechanics of yeah. shooting the gun and killing an enemy. Like, yeah, cause, that, cause that's even, not what's interesting about the raid. Because even if, like the people that I that were in our fire team that knew that had like done the research and watched the streams and stuff earlier that day and thought that they knew the encounter, they were always missing, you know, yeah. just a little bit of something that we all had to figure out together. And once we figured it out together and then we're like, Oh, we've got to do this, not the way that we thought we had to do it. And then having everybody execute on it because we all knew what we were doing at that point, that always feels great. All right. Um, but again, I didn't beat it. It's very, very, very long. Um, <laughs> we didn't come close to beating it. But again, I, I also don't think they expect people to beat it in one night. No. Like, or a day. I think they they expect you to piecemeal it out over the course of a week. That's a, that's my question. Is you can come back to it yes. for seven days or something yeah. like that for it, lo- it locks to your progression in there whose mm-hmm. progression your, like what happens characters. if you were doing it in your group and then you joined matt's group it's it's whoever is whoever started the fire team's progression i that was just my nerd same, same way it works in wow and like other things yeah like, i i don't know um like there are actually a lot of people on xbox one on my friends list playing it but well imagine uh, that i imagine there's everybody's <laughs> I'm friends a little list surprised on every because game. like it's like so heavily marketed as a ps4 game obviously <laughs> that like I don't expect that people I know necessarily are going to be playing on Xbox. But mm-hmm. I think a lot, a lot of people play on Xbox during the original one because their characters carried over at least partially. It's so like some people, you just have attachment I think a to lot those. of those people played on every platform just like you did. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it, it seems like if I want to actually play with people, then I'll have to play on PS4. And I just wait till PC. A bunch of us will push over. If I'm if I'm sitting in front of my PC, I don't want to play something that's not the game that you know that I'm going to be playing on PC when I'm sitting in front of it. <laughs> Battlegrounds. Uh, no. While we were talking, by the way, I checked how many games I played with Mitch. Mm-hmm. Eight hundred and fifty-nine games of Dota that's with Mitch. An average of like thirty to I would 30 guess that's probably about seven or eight hundred hours of dota 2 just in 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 matches right not watching together not doing everything else together else happens um, <laughs> i've played two and a half games of dota <laughs> that's about where i'm at <laughs> oh so yeah. 14 hours yeah. uh i don't know like it like i still follow like all the video like some video game sites on twitter i actually never really followed a lot of video game sites on twitter i still follow polygon because i will always follow polygon as at least as long as i own stock in vox <laughs> um and their tagline for their review in progress is destiny without all the bullshit and i think in a lot of ways there is less bullshit but some of the bullshit is still there oh yeah i still got some of the bullshit like don't let's not let's not break our backs sucking each other's dicks just yet like of, there's still some problems in Destiny it, it, too. one thing that i think is crazy just mechanically is that like when we were uh, making marvel heroes work for a console we were like what if we just made the right stick kind of like a mouse cursor and we we're like that's fucking crazy you can't do that god damn it man <laughs> and that's exactly what <laughs> that's destiny what destiny did. does they yeah. just and it's it right. ui and it's ui, and it's UI. That's, no that's insane. what i'm talking about just ui not not for gameplay just ui 
Just UI. It yeah. would have solved us a lot. I wish of, it was an option. But yeah, I just I was surprised yeah. that people seem to like it as much as they do. When I was like, oh, it's almost it like, totally works. It does. I, I, want, I didn't like it in No Man's Sky. Yeah, No Man's Sky. I, but no I No Man's like, Sky UI has a lot of problems. At a certain point, I wonder yes. if it's just like Destiny Stockholm syndrome, where it's like, no, the cursor is great. God damn it! <laughs> I feel it like, as someone who hasn't played Destiny. Like anytime I'm playing a uh, a first person shooter game with with a controller, whether it's a PlayStation or Xbox controller. If one of those thumbsticks turns into a mouse cursor, I'm just done. I've checked out. I think there are so many so other unnatural. things about Destiny that are so completely outside of your interest. <laughs> you don't ever have to worry about that. Yeah, long. it's all definitely right. true. All the criteria you listed for games, not one of them is checked off by Destiny. I, I, I have looked at multiple spreadsheets related to this game. If that, that gives you a sense yeah. of why you would probably, you will never want to play this game. Yeah, I literally just made it. Uh, like talking about time, like it's not yeah, it if does I, not give a fuck. If I have yeah. to do homework to play the game, <laughs> and then I can't breathe. believe I, I read an article about this game, <laughs> and then I have to <laughs> give up literally anything else to play the game. I yeah, probably not. Here's the thing, though. I used to play WoW, and this is that's why. That's yeah. why I won't go back to no, anything you know. MMO-ish. You know, like yeah. I got yeah, out. But, but like, yeah. did you Stay play out. WoW? Or yeah. Did you like fucking play? Did WoW? you live like, WoW? Yeah, like. Like the I, wow hole. I used wow as a way to maintain some semblance of insan- of sanity while living overseas and crunching for times uh, for days and months, whatever mm-hmm. on end, because so I could you, jump into wow and feel like a person <laughs> for a little bit, yeah. and then I did raids and I turned out, oh yeah, no, this is all shit. So you worked it's on terrible, Earth, but you lived in wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> Arthur knows that too. When I would hit like dark points, I'd be like. Reinstall WoW. Nah. Yeah. I just come home and I WoW. I don't feel like that's... I, the dark points are when you talk about reinstalling Rust. Well, yes, but that's a different sort of dark point. But like, <laughs> that's but, like, I'm on a vacation on the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about... Yeah, our, 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 ever told you. About Rust Days? Maybe. The psychological you warfare that we waged against other people. You would never mm. forget. That was basically yeah. us making our own stories because the game had no stories. So mm. we'd be like, hey, we're going to be cops and we're just going to go up to other players and role play cops to them. And they're like, what the fuck? But th- this is the internet and it's a weird place. So I'm going to roll with you on this because you have a gun to my head. And we're like, yeah, we're fucking cops, man. <laughs> like, it's fucking it's weird. It's like real life. It was, a socio- it was a sociopath simulator for Mitch and I. And um, Mitch was the only person I had that would like... Well, other people totally would. But Mitch eagerly would be uh-huh. like yeah let's fucking just do the craziest shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. i i assume that there will be lots of destiny conversation over the coming weeks and months uh oh yeah, yeah. it's just that you know the came out and came out you know two weeks ago raid raid came out this week you know it's like so a it week ago like a week, a week ago a couple well, I, mean, of days. I, I meant to say it's been two weeks almost two weeks of destiny sure. like releasing stuff and stuff happening i'll just say it real quick Zura this friday before we, uh, oh, that's tomorrow. Kind of head towards, towards wrapping. I'll just say I also played Fortnite's battle royale mode. Oh, I haven't How played that yet. How, how that? did you? What did you think of it? It is I, very obviously. It's very battlegrounds. I mean, uh-huh. literally, like get into a lobby. Everyone starts in a party bus that's flying through the air, not a plane. Uh-huh. But it's literally playing what sounds like almost like sandstorm. Hard to play a game <laughs> w- with your eyes rolling as as hard as they are. It's I that. first at first I was like, well. They did it fast. I mean, and they did it pretty well. Like, the UI in that game is still shit, but, like, mm-hmm. they cut out a lot of the systems. It's literally just drop in, find a gun, kill. It's literally just Battlegrounds. Wow. 
but done in the art and with the weapons that you're used to. Except they're still crafting, so you can still, like... So squads isn't in it, and I think that's where the game has the chance to differentiate itself. Is uh, Solo play is not that interesting to me. Battlegrounds yeah. does it way better. But squads, the fact that you can build buildings... I think that'll create totally different and dynamic combat so situations. So you can still build actual structures. Yes. You can resource and build structures. Yes. So I'm wow. saying, like, if we got into a fight, literally mid-fight, you could build a wall to put up cover <laughs> real quick. Wow. It's kind of like we used to do in Rust when we right. would carry those little default walls we would drop right. real quick to take yeah. cover. Yep. And so you can totally do stuff like that. So I'll be curious, you know, in battle in this Battle Royale for Fortnite, what I want to see is, like, since they have the building mechanics, I want to see vehicles that are, like, not cars, <laughs> yeah. but more, like... If you saw Alien Covenant, there's the big ship they use for hauling cargo, and all it is is a, a like basically like a, a driver's seat and then a mm-hmm. big flat platform. Mm-hmm. I want to see stuff like that, and then it's a buildable like thing where I can basically build like a howda on top of this truck, you know, so that we can have like a, a war platform <laughs> that I we be, drive I'd around. Be, uh, war boys, yes, yeah. literally. So kind of kind of like uh, like uh, shit arc. Like yeah, people exactly. Do, people build that kind of shit in our Exactly. Life. So it's like, I yeah. think that there's interesting potential for it to differentiate itself that way. Because yeah. for now, it's not differentiated at all. And I, I would like I would like for there to be an actual, you know, attacker defender mode where, defend, yeah, that's where the thing defenders is, is build They made that whole defense mechanic and they yeah. made zombies and stuff. I feel like instead of just trying to make battlegrounds, use the stuff that you've made in your systems and build yeah. that into it. That would be the advice. Yeah, because that's you, my free yeah. advice. Right, that's <laughs> your free advice. Paid you, advice know, you can you can pay for it. If, if people, if you had a squad of I don't know, however many it supports, but let's say you had six people on your defenders team, and you were able to like, you had like I don't know, ten minutes to resource an area and build before the six people on the other team could actually attack. And they could be doing the same thing, only for them maybe they're resourcing weapons. And on your side, you can actually put down like those defender platforms that it would make give you another use for your defender squads that you have in that game you can put like i'm going to put a sniper here i'm going to put a shotgunner here i'm going to put a melee guy down here and you know it's just attack defend how well can you get into our base yeah we'll see i'll be i mean they built the mechanics and it came out of nowhere which was yeah. kind of crazy but yeah huh I'll be curious to see what they do with it's it. It's funny because I saw the announcement, but I didn't really even know what it was. I was like, Battle Royale, it must be some kind of multiplayer thing. It's literally straight up Battlegrounds. I mean, <laughs> wow. it, is, it is Battlegrounds 2AT. Like, wow, that's funny. Even the map, the general size and shape of the map, yeah. the circle condensing, it's all Battlegrounds. Wow. So it was huh. like someone there was like, Battlegrounds is crazy popular. I could build that in a month with our systems. And <laughs> right. then they're like, I guess I can do it. Why did <laughs> it's it not like right? anybody can say they ripped us off. No, right. They, no, they, they literally acknowledge it in the launch video. Like, we love Battlegrounds and H1Z1. Yeah. yeah. And I think. So, we really want to get Battlegrounds on PlayStation 4. So, Sony had a conversation with us, and here we are. Exactly. Now there is a Battle Royale on PlayStation. Like, well, there was already a Battle Royale on PlayStation, right? Like, doesn't Ark have that stuff? In oh, does. right, right, right. Ark does. Yeah, I'm not sure. Right. I, don't know if the, I don't know if that particular mod or whatever is on PlayStation 4, but anyway. Uh, yeah. Should we wrap so up? So it's a good conversation. Yeah, we should wrap. Let yeah. everyone get on with their evening. Thank you so much for. Well, like, did, uh, real fast before we go, did we want to answer any of the questions? Oh, we absolutely well, I, I, should. I, I, so I looked at. So some of them we answered just through our conversations of asking you a billion questions. Right. Um, let me just load up real quick. It's a good idea. Put my DOS. Um, yeah, a lot of times, like when we when we're talking forever, like at the end when we're supposed to be reading letters, it's like ah, it's been a two hour podcast. <laughs> eh. But this is no, totally let's, a special. Let's do a occasion. couple of questions from Yair, who comes to us from Israel, and he says, "Is it more difficult to write for an existing IP like Star Wars than writing a brand new thing like Spec Ops?" 
Uh, no, it's easier. Much easier. Really? Oh, absolutely. Because uh, with the existing IP, you have... A foundation, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. You have all these things that you can pull from. You decide, and, Action and, figures to be inspired by. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, think of it this way. What's easier to uh, write a brand new story in a blank piece of paper or to edit something you've already written? Uh, gotcha. Uh, Muhammad writes in and says, can you explain the ending of Spec Ops? I still don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah you're kind of dead. You might not be dead. It's entirely up to you. Oh, shit. <laughs> the answer, you sent a fucking email. <laughs> the answer is hidden in season three of Twin Pinks. <laughs> oh, jeez. Or, or, or in your book. Are in my book, Significant Zero, out September 19th. You can pre-order it on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Or you can get it at your local bookseller, again, September 19th. Significant Zero. I don't, I don't think we actually asked you about, you know, what's the rest of the book about. We just talked about that first chapter. Uh, that's... You bring up a good point. <laughs> uh, significant, uh, the book, Significant Zero, is about... My path, uh, getting to the video game industry, uh, and working my way up from just an entry level position at 2K video game publisher to becoming uh, a writer of big AAA games, and kind of using my experiences within the industry to kind of pull the curtain back and show the more human side that we tend to ignore when mm. looking at how games are made and why people choose to make games because. Uh, this medium more than any other, we really, the artists make themselves invisible. We hide ourselves, uh, in our work because we want our work to be focused on the player. And in some cases that's good, but I think in a lot of ways in regards to how people understand what this industry really is and how it works, it's very detrimental. It's how you get kids on Reddit going, uh, I could program a multiplayer mode in two weeks because they because we're just not out there actually talking about. No, this is what it really takes to make a game. Yeah. It is hard. It is at times physically draining and soul crushing, but it is also equally extremely empowering and uh, inspiring. And there's a reason that we do it. And I wanted to get those kind of stories out there and make it f- feel more accessible to people, but also hopefully inspire other people in the industry to begin speaking more openly and honestly about yeah. why they do it and what Tell they their go stories. through. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's an industry that I stumbled into, and I love it dearly and hope to continue doing it for many years. Right on. But I also want to talk about it, too. I, I, yeah. It's weird that we don't talk yeah, there, about it. And there is so much secrecy around, like, uh, it's... Uh, we run into this a lot with uh, a lot of our video game clients. Um, the I have a little video production company, and like most of our clients are in the video game industry. And a lot of times they're so wrapped up in secrecy, and they don't want people to see how the sausage is made because they're afraid it'll make them look bad. And we have conversations a lot about like, no, this is what makes you heroic. You know, this is what makes your story interesting. It's not like it doesn't make you look bad to show this kind of stuff. It actually has the opposite of effect. But there's so much secrecy that surrounds the video game development process and that I think it's just ingrained in the culture, and you know, hopefully your your book will do a little bit to turn people's heads around on that. I'm hoping, and yeah. also just hoping people enjoy it as well. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'll be happy so long as you buy it. I'll be happy. That's what I really care about. Um, Purchases <laughs> primary enjoyment is secondary. <laughs> um, let's see. 
This is good radio. Well, hold on. I'm just trying to... <laughs> I mean, some of the questions are, like, obvious ones that he can't really answer. Oh. Uh, like, so that, that's... Why, well, here's one. Doesn't why am I not... Survive. Uh, why am I not writing episode nine? Um, <laughs> because I'm not J.J. Abrams. Uh, clearly. Weird. Uh, I mean... I'd love to be. Dare you? <laughs> well, how about how about that? How about the if I were to reframe it to, does writing for film or something like that ever interest you? Film or TV? Of course, it interests me. <laughs> do you, but do you know how easy it is to write for film and TV? I don't know. About as easy as it is to walk in off the street and write a video game. It turns out <laughs> that uh, they don't just hand these things over to anyone. Weird. Um, huh. If if it if it ever happens to me someday, I would be. I mean, I started off writing screenplays first before mm. I got into anything. Right, yeah, you do talk about that a bit in the book, uh, getting taken advantage of. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd love to, sure. But right now I'm focusing on games and books, because right now I'm getting paid to write <laughs> games and books. Uh, and, yeah, it's funny how that and works And next, I, honestly, I'll probably do comics, because oh, nice. I need to come full circle on that as well, <laughs> um, after trying to get into Marvel and other things. But I'm, I've always wanted to. Like, yeah. you know, I could... Tr- I, I'm taking off little bites. I'm slowly moving my way across the mediums, nice. and so let me ask. Let me ask you a question, a little bit more personal, in a sense. Before we close, I'm just curious: What do your parents think about the things that you work on and make? Coming from the fact that you grew up in a place where it was like you certainly didn't watch Star Wars and stuff like that, and you definitely didn't do all these other things because they could be a bad influence and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, my, my parents think it's great. I mean, I mean, look, they're religious, but they're not like hyper religious. Uh, okay. I was the one who ended up going, they were normal Baptist. I went Southern Baptist cause that's where all my friends went to church. So that's mm. where that sh- shift went. But I got in, I was going to go into the air force. I got kicked out of the air force right before graduating and called my parents to say, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be a writer and that turned out not to be bullshit, so they're just ecstatic that I support There are a lot my... of bullshit and inflection points in that statement, too. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Could have gone either way. Yeah, and so they are like, well, hey, he did it. That's great. He supports himself. <laughs> and your family. And my family, yep, yep, and yep. like they think it's amazing. Nice. That's like, awesome. They both read the book. My mother, the first night reading it, texted me, I don't understand why you have so little confidence in yourself. She's not going to listen to this, so I can do this terrible voice. So many people believe in you, and I just don't know. It's like, well, I mean, it wouldn't be a very interesting book if it started with me as a child going, I understood everything and was very confident in the skills that I would one day develop, and so I pursued them to perfection. That would not make a great book, Mom. Oh, that's that's a fair point. And my dad, my dad called me up in the middle of the night to be like, I could not put the book down. I, I don't know why. So that was almost like a little Bill Clinton thing. I could not. <laughs> Your dad can sound like whatever since uh, I've never met him. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. I believe you. Okay. Dad kind of talks like this. He's got a little bit of a gravelly southern voice. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of, uh, but he was like, he honestly said to me, which meant a lot. He's like, I didn't know you were this good of a writer. Wow, nice. Oh, that's great. And that was re- that. That meant a lot to you. That's better than all the back of the book quotes. You're like, I didn't know he was this good of a writer. (laughs) Walt's dad. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I've been writing video games for 12 years. My parents don't play video games. Mm. I can tell them what other people say about them. Sure. But But they're never going to experience it. Exactly. This book is the first time my parents have actually experienced my professional writing. Nice. So when I 
Because at first I was like, well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but when I thought of or I realized that, I was like, oh, shit, yeah. He's yeah. never played my games. Right. So this... He has a reason to not know that right. I'm he a was, good He writer. was proud of you for having a career, but yeah. he never knew how proud he could be of you for being a writer. Exactly. So, yeah, so that, that was pretty cool. Then my last question for you is, uh, after Significant Zero, September 19th, everyone can pre <laughs> now, uh, you've said you want to continue to write books. Do you see those books being more works of nonfiction, or could you see yourself actually doing your own fiction? Oh, I mean... Look, I think the nonfiction book was the fluke. Uh, I, I've always seen myself as a fiction writer. Back to lies. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> lies are great. Here's the thing that you don't uh, think about as a fiction writer until you're writing a nonfiction book. is like, okay, I know where point A is. I know where point B is. How do I connect it? I know. I'll make shit up. No, right. you can't do that anymore. <laughs> you have to use the truth, and it's terrible. It's uh, You're in an era of very aggressive fact-checking. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, very, very scary. Uh, and so it's like, well, there is no truth that connects A to B, so maybe I need to go back and relook at A, or relook at B, or C, whatever. And so that was a whole new thing for me, and also realizing that my story is not my story. None of our stories are our stories. Once you start telling them... You realize how many other people were involved who did not sign a contract to have <laughs> their life broadcast in a nonfiction book. <laughs> right. So you start phoning up people and saying, hey, so I'm not going to tell that story that you're worried I'm going to tell. <laughs> but can I tell uh, this other one? <laughs> but I am going to also hide your name. Sure. Um, like, I mean, yeah. again, only starting the book, I'm like, who the fuck was this dude that you described in the beginning that you work with at 2K? Like, I'm just like, he sounds like such a weird fucking dude. Like the dude that you first sat next to that would do things like... Oh, DT. Yeah, DT. Whoever DT is. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's like... DT is a wonderful human being. <laughs> DT is a spirit animal. If you would like to know more about T, DT, you can pick up significant zero on September 19th. <laughs> no, I, 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 I would say everyone should. You know, it's it's actually... I I like recommend it. I've enjoyed the book. So, but to, to answer your que really a real question, real fast about the book, uh, I'm already I'm working on a second book. Um, hopefully, to be finished writing it next year. My oh, plan nice. is to write book two next year. Oh, so, congratulations! That should be by awesome. saying that out loud on a podcast. I'm sure now you now have to do it. None yeah. of it will happen, <laughs> uh, but that is the plan. Everyone can tweet at Walt D. Williams next year and say, "Where the fuck is that book, Walt?" <laughs> hey, it's worked for George R. R. Martin. Why wouldn't it work for me? <laughs> Yeah, the, maybe uh, maybe ten years from now we'll look back on this and be like, "Do you remember that when he said he was going to write that story?" I and know, now yeah. it's like a TV thing. I've never even read the book. I've only seen the TV thing. Is it like <laughs> what does it feel like? You know, it's just like you'll have created a universe. The um, uh, I'm look, I'm really looking forward to reading it because there just there aren't books about the game industry. About I mean, there are, but there are very few people that like. There aren't, aren't a lot of books about the game industry made from people who are working exactly. in the game industry. Yeah. As That's what I was trying to, people to say from the outside looking in right thinking that they know about the right game exactly yep, yep yep yeah i think people are terrified to talk about it i mean mm. i i imagine the ndas you've signed for the project <laughs> you're working on right now are fucking terrifying yeah. right you don't mess with the mouse no, <laughs> this is true but you know like when i told my dad i sold this book like he said over the phone he said first i want to say that i'm really proud of you mm -hmm. so i want to start with that and he said second i want to ask you are they paying you enough money for you to piss off everyone in your industry. <laughs> and I said, well, I had not thought about that, Dad. <laughs> Two, it's not that kind of book. Right. Three, 
I'm really thinking about that now, Dad. Thank you. Uh, let's hope the answer is yes. The good news is you got some of that out of the way already. Right. Yes, people yeah. really, really liked that Crunch excerpt. They really good. were drawn it to resonated. it. Resonated. Yes. Uh, it was a fun day for Walt. It's like a lot of things that, like bombs, resonate in a way, like <laughs> explosions. Well, I think if you if you read if you saw any excerpts of that. And you took it out of context. I think you owe it to yourself to go check out them in context because I mm. think it it changes a lot because it's not necessarily. I think people took it like it was a manifesto and more not not realizing that the whole entire thing of Significant Zero is your personal experience for sure. And and I went back. So when it came out on Polygon, I had not seen the excerpt as it was going to be presented. Mm. Uh, Polygon had been sharing it with my publisher. Uh, and uh, I had not seen it. It had not, it had not come to me. So I saw it for the first time when it came out with that title and that context when everyone else did. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, we're this is going to be a thing. And like, I'm not going to... I didn't turn that into the, the topic of discussion because ultimately I still wrote it. And, yeah. you know, so I we needed to talk about it. It didn't. The conversation didn't need to be, oh, this ain't my fault. It's still my words. But there's one so. thing Twitter is good at. It's nuance. Absolutely. That's the good news. Really, people in general. We're 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 fantastic at it. Especially in large groups of shouting people. It's a really deliberative space. So I I mean the context to the situation is what it was. A lot of people eventually picked up on the context. But um I I was gonna say something. You what was the question? You were saying something first. I trail off. Oh, I was just saying that if people want to read it in context, you know, they can check out. Yeah, because okay. so it's your yeah. personal experience rather than right. necessarily you being like, "This is how it works, motherfuckers." You know, right? right? But it's all like it's cautionary and sort of like not presented as like a, a aspirational in that yeah. regard. I did. Like, I thought it was interesting that like there were some reactions I saw. You could tell which people didn't have much uh, interaction or experience with addiction or people who suffer from addiction mm. because they would reply things like, uh, or also just any type of modern literature or film. Cause like who would ever talk like this about drugs or alcohol? Literally everybody <laughs> talk about, have you never seen, Oh, I don't know. Train spotting. Yeah. Of Wall street, anything with drugs, anything from the seventies at all. <laughs> um, but then that people did read it as being a being pro crunch versus like this mm. is an addiction to crunch. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, Trent that spotting was pro heroin. To be fair, it was very pro heroin. Yeah, so pro heroin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I got the, that at yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah, like so. Choose heroin is, is how it ends, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I understand why people reacted the way they did. I knew it would be contentious when I wrote it. Yeah. Um, but I, I do hope that... Ultimately, I think the people who read it and were like, I'm never going to buy this book, those people didn't know I had a book coming out anyway. So <laughs> right. that doesn't hurt me too much. I hope that, the peop- I hope that people who are, who are interested in the book won't be uh, swayed to not check it out because they've read this piece uh, out of context and it made them think it was something that it's not. Right. Um, because there is a lot to talk about. And ultimately, I was just trying to get at that we have a very complex relationship with Crunch as an industry by expressing my own complex relationship with yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah, we're constantly praising games uh, that have absolutely devastated 
the, the lives of their teams. Yeah. Uh, because those games are really fun and polished. And and then you have you you have people creators who have made really successful games and become really beloved and popular and have made money going. Yes, but the last few months I really crunched and it, my health is bad and it wasn't worth it. And that's I feel mm-hmm. like that's glorifying. Hey, uh, you know how you know who I am now and everyone loves me and my work. That t- that wasn't worth it. What I did. Don't do that. Definitely don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you all, you're only listening to me because you love me because I crunched so hard and made that game you loved. Yeah, but, but don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah, like that's like that kind of shit is just as insidious. Like yeah. it's all we have to like take a step back and really look at how we are within the industry feeding crunch individually, not just that it is something systemic it's systemic because we've allowed it become to become systemic um yeah. well i mean the the problem is that the crunch is almost inevitable on any team-based uh creative project absolutely because of with the, the finite the, budget of course yeah with yeah. a finite budget exactly and Isn't it all, uh, like i i think the thing that was sort of spreading around like a few days after this that was sort of linked by a lot of developers to the crunch issue is that there are no senior developers anymore. Like every, every like project lead, like every experienced lead burns out Mm. like well before they're sort of in a position to really know how a project works and, and what could be done to better manage it and keep crunch from being the sort of juggernaut of development that it is. Yeah. I think there's something to that for sure. But I mean, I think there there are aspects of just personal oversight as well. Like, I mean, I've worked on projects where, you know, you you sit down, everyone has a meeting, you decide on, we are going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then someone in that meeting in a key position of executing it goes off to his desk and goes, yeah, but I have this other idea that's better, and I'm <laughs> going to do that. Right. And they'll see when I'm done that it's better. Right. And now that person's going off and doing something that's completely off task, off topic, off budget, uh, and hasn't told anyone else. Right. And now that person has just made work for every other single person. And yep. it is, was it the better creative decision? Possibly. Wasn't the better team decision. Yeah. Wasn't the better decision for anyone else except for what that person wanted to do. Yep. A lot of crunch comes down to creative selfishness selfishness that we all have in what we do. Like I have to constantly check myself when I'm writing something. Hey, how much work is this going to make for so many other people? I really wanted another character here. Do we have another character? No. How much do I want it? Because now we got to bring in a whole department's budget to make that other character. Right. And how much am I going to fight for that? I've just made someone crunch because I just really wanted another fucking character in the game. Mm-hmm. That I probably didn't even need. Yeah. But I've convinced myself it's the only way to make it work. <laughs> so, I mean, there is personal responsibility involved as well. Yeah. Um no, it's like you said before. In large groups, people tend to abdicate their personal responsibility in favor of somebody else's group think. And, you know, you can abdicate responsibility all day. It won't get your work done. 
Anyway, on that super light note. <laughs> I'm going to assume some personal fucking responsibility and say it's been two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a good, but it was a good show. Yeah, it was good talking, Thanks man. for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming thanks on. Thanks for having me, guys. Again, everyone, I really appreciate it. Everyone can reach Walt, Walt D. Williams on Twitter, and you can uh, check out his books at Significant Zero. I'm also on Instagram at probably underscore Walt Williams. <laughs> Perfect. Spoiler, it's actually me. Uh, you can find Arthur on Twitter at A-E-G-I-S, and you can find his Instagram at Pragmagic. Correct. And then you can go find Matt on Twitter at Talking Orange, yep. or you can send them work at Area5.tv if you got video needs. Uh, I don't really do Instagram anymore. Uh, yeah, I actually had one, and I forgot completely. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Chuff Money. And I also stream at Chuff Money as well, so you should go check that out. On uh, Twitch. Yeah, on, on Twitch. On Twitch, yeah. We're doing, a, we're doing a, a playthrough of XCOM right now. It's really great, playing <laughs> that with the stream. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> September. Um, and then, yeah, you can find uh, James on Twitter at James underscore Faulkner. The underscore is very important. He is not a football player or cricket or rugby or whatever the fuck it is that the real James Faulkner is. So please don't. <laughs> the real I'm, I'm, I am fake. You're, you're fake, fake. fake. Who's older? Yeah. Yeah. The other, uh, the other one, I think. Probably. Then you're fake. Yeah, you're fake, James Faulkner. Sorry. Sorry. Still love you. Um, <laughs> you're the Velveteen Rabbit. Love has made you real. <laughs> so. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, thanks you for the people sending questions and nice things to say to, uh, to Walt. And uh, thank you. Thanks again, Walt, for coming. And I think that's going to do it. So go out there and think about your lives and read some books. Love you. Bye. Bye.